So let's let's not waste time. From the astral planes of cinema, this is the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 17, and my name's Jakob. My name's Carson. My name's Nick. Hi, glad to have you all with us. So, uh, without further ado, or maybe with some further, with some ado, okay, I, I, there's something I wanted to say. If you're listening to this show and you may, may have noticed that our Apple podcast feed is, has gone to shit. Is apparently if you if you go on iTunes and on Apple Podcasts, the um, the last episode you'll see is crawl, and then since then there have been two episodes, and then I have to say that while I actually adore An- um, Anchor's um, uh, Anchor's um, customer support, I uh, I don't have anything good to say about Apple Podcast support. Like it, it, I have still haven't replied to and like I think three or four of my emails. Like and it's just ridiculous. So. I don't know. Bear with, bear with us, because like, this needs to be fixed. Apparently, the episodes propagate to Apple. I don't know if you guys listen through Apple, um, but um, I don't know if you're not an existing subscriber, you don't get notifications because these episodes don't show up on the website, which fucking sucks. So, in house housekeeping done. Now, so last week we um, spent I think three and a half hours talking about uh, Michael Mann's Miami Vice, and I don't know about you, but I think we uh, it, it was an absolute blast. So uh, go and check this out. This week, we are staying in 2006 and we are setting our sights on Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. A special tree grows hidden. The tree of life. They say whoever drinks of its sap will live forever. The Fountain combines three mini-narratives, one about a conquistador, played by Hugh Jankman, sent by the Spanish queen, played by Rachel Weisz, to um, South America in search of the mythical tree of life, or the Fountain of Youth, uh, or both. Uh, Doctor, also Jackman, who races against time to develop a cure for his dying wife, also Weisz. And uh, some kind of an interstellar monk traveling through space-time together with a seemingly alive tree. And as the film unfolds, the, tr- the three narratives um, are revealed to be sort of interwoven, intertwined with one another to form a cerebral meditation on love and death. Now, Darren Aronofsky first brought this idea to make The Fountain to, I think, Warner Brothers immediately after releasing Requiem for a Dream, which was his massive breakthrough. And I think 
he got Brad Pitt interested in starring in the role and eventually well in the role that eventually went to Hugh Jackman and they went to scout locations Aronofsky wasn't exactly hiding the ambition he had for this movie as he allegedly screened Aguirre and the Holy Mountain for the crew and he was talking about you know like trying to kind of just being inspired by 2001 and even the Matrix and so he had something cerebral in mind I think we'll get there uh the project ended up being delayed a bunch because he wanted Kate Blanchett, who was pregnant at the time, to start opposite Pitt, which will be interesting because I think they started opposite each other in Benjamin Button two years after. So that was interesting. Um, anyway, so the, as, as, as most films that we talk about in here, the budget ballooned and the studio got antsy and they enlisted other studios to help out financially because there was a lot of money that Aronofsky wanted. He wanted like seven, $70 million. He was making practical sets. He wanted epic set pieces and whatnot. And apparently Warner Brothers said, no, this is not happening. And eventually the whole project fell apart. Sets were auctioned off. Kate Blanchett was paid off. Brad Pitt got pissed off. Everyone, everyone was angry. And just project went away. But in 2004, apparently, they decided to resurrect the film because Aronofsky started to think how, how about, about downsizing this film and making this story um, for, quote unquote, let, less money. Um, so um, what they did is they decided to stage the photography on sound stages instead of costly location. Uh, shoots and then one thing led to another and the fountain got released in 2006 so five five or six years later after they initially started working on this with Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz in the lead roles and it tanked like an absolute torpedoed ocean liner despite getting a standing ovation at Venice apparently so critics were kind of mixed on it and uh, Roger Ebert was kind of like meh some people loved it some people hated so you know like standard fare however even though it had all the hallmarks of a cult classic in the making it really never cultivated one, so it kind of died. And the question to prompt our general impressions stands as follows then. Do you think The Fountain deserves to have a cult following because the audiences at the time were not ready for um, for, it, for its greatness? Or does it belong in the shrouds of oblivion? Or maybe harsher yet, should the studio have known better not to resurrect this film at all when it was briefly considered dead in the water? So what do you think about Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain? Uh, I don't know. Who do we start with? Nicolo, go first. Can I just start with a little side note, just to destroy this myth? Because because it's hilarious when people say like, "Oh, it got a standing ovation in Cannes. It got a standing ovation in Venice." I've been five years now to Venice. There's more films that have had a standing ovations that ones that haven't when I've been because people just want like they like stand up and they're like, "Where are the celebrities? Let me just look at them and start clapping." And so everyone does that. <laughs> So like I've been seeing like yeah, it's mainly standing of <laughs> Put this in perspective, uh, I suppose. I yeah. Uh, anyway, if if there's a filmmaker, like I think you guys have those filmmakers, you viewers, listeners as well have them. Just like filmmakers that you look at their filmography, you look at what they do, you look at their ambition, and you go, "That's the kind of filmmaker I will pr- probably really love." But then you watch their films, and you're like. Uh, they just don't connect in any way for me. That's me with Darren Aronofsky. I haven't seen all of his films. I haven't seen like the two most beloved ones, which are Black Swan and The Wrestler, but I've seen the others. And while I don't hate any of them, they just never connect with me on any level. They tend to not stick in my mind in any way whatsoever. And The Fountain was a fresh watch. Um, I distinctly remember watching the trailer for this in front of a Pirates film. I think Dead Man's Chest back in 2006. 
and it, that one's that one's stayed in my mind because it looked like a trippy film. But watching it now, having seen some of the influences actually, like the gear, the Holy Mountain, that I, I really do love. Um, there's something about Aronofsky's style that whenever the movie starts, I'm really sucked into the atmosphere. Um, I always admire what he wants to say. Like he's clearly always aiming at something very specific to give audiences like, hey, drugs are bad, they are horrible. Or in this case, in the case of this film, learn to learning to cope with death, with the loss of a loved ones, not to pursue uh, everlasting life. And they're very admirable again, but but then he just loses me either with some very like weird effects or weird elements in the stories, or in this case, it's just it's a bad word. I don't like to use it, but I just found it to be pretty boring. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't into this. I wouldn't say at all. I I do respect it more than I enjoyed it. So I see Nick is still in the lesser mindset of 2006. Got it, Nick. Um, <laughs> no, peace and love. Um, I think this is one of the films I watched, like this might be the only film I can say I really watched too early or from too young, not because of any like maturity themes or anything, but like this is just such a like weird layered experience. I walked away just being like, oh, it's fine. The first time I watched it. Second time around watching it, I had no expectations due to that. Um, and I truly believe this is Aronofsky's like masterpiece. I think this is his magnum opus. I think you maybe could argue like The Wrestler is a better film overall, but I think in the context of what this director is, who this director is, what he attempts to do and his kind of style of like these really meditative, um, very unique experiences in film, I guess is one way you could put it. And we'll talk about Mother next week. I think this is just the perfect you know, capturing of how he views cinema and how he uses cinema and his unique flair. Um, this film, not like number one, technical masterpiece, the cinematography, incredible, outstanding. The score is outstanding. Um, but I think this finally is the film, right? Like for the past year we've been on podcasts and especially with Clappercast, every film comes out that's like, oh, what like break down the themes. What is it saying? What is like at the deeper core of I'm thinking of ending things or she dies tomorrow. And it's like, bad cinema that has nothing to say i don't care this is the first film i think we're talking about where finally it's like no there actually is clearly things to break down and talk about and this film clearly is trying to have something to say and i think that's one of the best things about aronofsky's work and again i'm gonna kind of hold my tongue on mother until next week but a little preview i guess um you know his work has something to say and it has that depth and purpose and this film i think is just genuinely like a five-star masterpiece. And if you go on my letterbox, I don't give that rating out a lot. I think this is genuinely just a perfect film. I, I love this film. I love it so much. The acting is perfect. And like I said, it's just, I mean, even on the baseline, technical masterpiece, but then you get everything else with narratively and it just, it works so well. Oh my goodness. You, you have no idea how happy I am that you're finally here just praising something to high heavens. Well, you didn't fit Congo. It helps when you don't fit Congo, well, you know. But then I think, did did you not love the three burials of Mercedes Estrada? Oh, I did. I gave that four point five out of five. Yeah, so no, so it's not say the perfect film, but I think you know, there's there's been quite a few films that we I I, I think we had a conversation on. Well, where the rating we were, system. We were kind of just I... going deep into themes. Like I think bringing out the dead was one of those. Um, yeah. Where we're just going really deep into. Um, let's just say you know let's just say existential stuff but i'm happy that this is something that um that kind of just uh let's just say 
it resonates with you that way. And I'm, and I'm happy to be for once in a, in a position where I'm not trying to desperately defend one or the other. <laughs> I mean, oh, let's put it, let's put it this way. Like, I, I'm, I'm kind of sort of in charge of putting, put, putting the list of episodes together. Like, you know, like you guys kind of just throw in ideas in here, but like, it's ultimately kind of like, I'm, I don't know. I, I have the ultimate power to say what we're doing. And um, so naturally, I think there's kind of a bias for me to kind of just by, be biased towards things that I kind of remember liking or maybe or maybe think I would like. Um, so I more often than not find myself on the sort of camp of, you don't understand how much of a masterpiece this is, right? Uh, but but today I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be sort of in the middle because I both understand where you, Carson, come from with this because... Um, I do have a soft spot for this film, but I also see its flaws. And also so, uh, sort of, it's one of those films like I like the idea of this film more than, more than I like the film itself. I think, I, although I do like it, I think it stands on like four stars for me in, on Letterboxd. And although ratings mean something else to me than, than to you. Um, I will say that I, one thing that I've always remembered from this film and even leaving the cinema was the score. The score was something that almost sold me on this film, even without everything else. I could listen to the score and I did listen to the score for, for years on end in my car and whatever. This, this has been the um, on, on my rotation for years now. And um, however, it took me three, four watches to kind of just actually start thinking about um, what this well not start thinking but actually start to kind of just click with what this film's trying to say to me and uh, and, uh, and and I think it did take so such a long time is because it almost always loses me like two-thirds in like there's a moment in this film where you just kind of stop caring and then you start caring again like two minutes before it finishes where everything kind of just comes together but I, I do Oh, like in terms of initial impressions, I I'm, I can have a like now that I've read about a little bit more about how the film came together and how I, I read comments by Matthew Libatik, who uh, did the cinema. Oh, he's he's Aronofsky's cinematographer, pretty much has been all throughout. They they kind of almost let's just say grew up together, uh, like artistically speaking, and then how he had uh, made choices that kind of just sort of um, underscored certain things in the film. It kind of just makes this film stand out even more to me. But I, I kind of like the fact. I kind of like what Aronofsky is trying to say in thing. I like. I mean, Hugh Jackman and and Rachel Weisz. I think they they have great chemistry. But what I like the most about uh, I think in terms of vi visuals is uh, sort of like the the biosphere. Sort of it's it, the special effects are amazing, and they're all kind of done. I think most of them practically. It's it's such a beautiful film to look at, and even though it has its problems, and then it's most beautiful to look at when when Aronofsky is kind of just leaving, quote unquote, reality. So I kind of like this about this, and and I, I like the fact that I have I have to think about what's what's happening. I have to make up my own mind about things, and I, th I actually, even though, I think this film is I think erroneously sort of assigned as. Oh, this is the sort of one of those sim like on film Twitter. This would have the Lynchian kind of just written all over it because it's just oh, maybe it's symbols. So you can interpret it the way you want. No, this this thing has an interpretation that you kind of 
have to arrive at, but the way you arrive at it is your choice, right? When I kind of like it about this, because I'm, I've been thinking about this yesterday when I was watching this, and then, um, and then we'll, I think we'll, we'll get there in, in, in a few minutes, but I kind of like that this, this is kind of like, there's um, a multitude of like multitude of roads all all kind of just converging on one at one point that you kind of have to see as if, to appreciate but then the way you kind of just get there is, is your choice and then um i kind of feel like i'm just trying not to give away too much in my in my sort of um opening impressions but i, I do like the way the film looks i do how it, do love how the way the way the film sounds and um i have a feeling that aronofsky has always been sort of interested in sort of um merging these sort of religious religious sort of mytholo mythological sort of things into um sort of like ramifications of real life and i think he's he's done this more or less successfully in this film but the film has its flaws and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to it but um should we actually start so because um should we actually start maybe about with sort of i know that we have the opening impressions kind of over and done with um with briefly talking about what the what we what you guys think what the film is about because you know like I know what Aronofsky thinks is about it's about I know what I think about but I'm kind of interested in what you guys think what what did you guys take away from this sort of on the sort of um, surface level as a, as a story and what do you think this this film is trying to say? I mean I think it's pretty like. Uh, clear and I know Aronofsky agrees I, to my knowledge but like I think it definitely has stuff to say about like death and accepting death and how you know there is no life necessarily guaranteed after death um, I think it has something to say about the like global consciousness theory that we all share one consciousness as you see these different figures from different generations and time periods all you know be the same kind of consciousness um yeah, I mean, I think I think those were probably the main ones. I also got a little bit at the beginning that like, oh, maybe this is like because obviously they used the tree to heal the monkey, um, or was it an ape? I think it may yeah, have been a monkey. It was an ape, right? Oh well, monkey or ape. Sorry to that actor. I, I don't mean to misrepresent. I, I don't mean to misrepresent your your species uh, <laughs> or human in the suit, and we don't know, but. Um, I was also thinking, oh, well, maybe this is like a maybe this is the tree going into like the bloodstream to help it. Don't that, you know, don't they don't really go in that direction that far. But I think very clearly this is like at least some meditation on death, some meditation on what life is, and some meditation of bringing like all generations of humanity together in that universal fear of death. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Carson. I also found it to be much more focused on just but this is mainly talking about the like present day storyline the fact that you have this surgeon trying his best to save his wife avoid her death while she's just okay with it like she's gone through all the stages of grief she's like I'm, i've accepted it i'm gonna die i'm gonna move on you have to do that too let's do it together as peacefully as possible and he's like no i have to like find a cure a way to reverse death and the tumor and he discovers a magical, like you said with the monkey, a truly fantastic scientific breakthrough. It's like, yeah, but that's not what I want. <laughs> so it's not okay for me. Um, but yes, it's, 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 I, I found it touching. I do really think it's very touching as a movie um, because that is something that we all experience either with a small pet or grandparents, hopefully before everyone else around us. But just when it's a slow descent, you do feel the pain um, I think I think the performances are great. I didn't touch on that before. I do think they're really, really good. Um, especially Jackman has 
um, not overacting, but like it, it brings a lot of strength when it's needed. It never feels forced. It always feels genuine, like it's coming from the heart. And I really like that about him. But one thing that I don't like about Aronofsky is that like we were talking about Lynchian. Um, David Lynch films are... I, mean, uh, I, like, did, I didn't necessarily want to bring up the... No, 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 I know, no, but I want to make a comparison. I think the quote was, Jakob, sa- Jakob said this was Lynchian. He said that this transcended cinema. I think that was the quote. <laughs> I just so. tweeted that. Jesus. Yeah, go no, ahead. No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> uh, but jokes aside, no, I... like. I know you love Lynch. And I was like... I oh, do, no, no, no. no <laughs> Nicola's but... going to lose it. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but I mean what you get. Like, people would say Lynchian, but David Lynch is all about, like, not nonsense per se, but it is the opposite of every single thing is a meaning. Meanwhile, Aronofsky is all about like, no, no, but everything has a meaning. And it's not only that, it's the fact that he actually spells it out. I will never forget, I know we're talking about Mother next week, but I will never forget how he literally was like, no, 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 this is what the film is about. This is what it's about. Everything means this and this and that. And he kind of did the same with The Fountain after like six years of it coming out and i'm like no shut up that that removes a lot of the fun that removes a lot of the mystery doesn't necessarily make the film better or worse in any way for me but it's just one of those things it's like no just just leave it open especially something that he purposefully made to be open to interpretation and and people who don't like it they just aren't ready to accept death it's like no man no it's you you said it best, Yaku. Like there comes a point where you just kind of lose interest. And for me, it wasn't the like it for me. It was in the first half of the film. I was just watching it, and slowly started like dissipate, and we go back to the conquistadors, and they're just talking in the thing, and they're hanging people. I was like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> it's and it's honestly, it's always a problem every time with Aronofsky. It, it sucks me in. I'm like, yo, Clint Mansell. Mwah, fantastic the cinematography perfect the way they captured those special effects it's literally like microscopic lenses with putting water and chemicals and things it's just it's beautiful absolutely beautiful and then i'm just like just blank stage just staring into nothing I'm like okay it's just keeps on going keeps on going oh something's happening at the end pretty visuals and everything's going insane and it's a good message at the end and, and that's it See, with uh, I know he. I mean, he made this film when he was like barely thirty years old. So he was. I mean, he's still not the oldest sort of fart in the in, in the industry. Like he's barely fifty right now. Um, but I, I know he's done this with Mother, when he had to go on record and say, "Oh, yeah, this is what I think this film is about," because I think he genuinely can't cope with the fact that his well he maybe cares about what about what the audiences and the critics think and then he generally gets annoyed when they don't get what he wanted to say as in he f- feels this may be a failure either of his or or, or or theirs if they don't see the meaning that he put in there right because he definitely puts any meaning in his films and he wants you to figure it out and he wants to, to kind of just i think he maybe this may be a little bit of an ego of his that he wa- he wants you to experience the the genius that he thinks he puts in this in his stories and then that's fine like I've, an artist is allowed to have an ego i don't have a problem with that like at all um so my favorite art filmmakers have an ego the size of mount fucking rushmore so you know um so so there's that now w- w- in terms of like what this film is, I've always kind of kind of thought the the way you Carson did, as in like there's this sort of 
um, the sort of the global consciousness, how sort of souls may may be kind of just traversing from person to person, and so you exist. So your existence is a is a continuum com going from one person to another, and then this is interesting because it's all, it's almost kind of like the idea of being in denial about death. Um, but this time I was kind of thinking, what if there is another way of looking at this? Because well, Rachel Weiss writes a book for um, uh, for Hugh Jackman, for, keep forgetting his name, Tommy, Tommy Creo, right? Uh, he, she writes a book for him exactly for that reason, because, um, well, to re for, for a reason to, to, to make him uh, cope with her death. Right, so she writes this story about this guy who uh, tries to see seek out the uh, fountain of youth or the tree of life or whatever the fuck um, to to um, ensure that you know the queen will have eternal life or something like that, right? And then he fails in this. I mean, she doesn't finish the ending, and he needs to finish the ending because it's his job to realize that this job cannot be done because she has to die. So he needs to figure out how to how to process this the, the fact that you know certain things cannot cannot be live forever so i'm kind of thinking that there's the very like at, on some level i think it's it's purposeful that there's very like the lines between the lines between what is meant to be real and what's not meant to be real are kind of blurred and i kind of like this about that and i don't mind the fact that he spells shit out for you sometimes because I, I, it's fine it's at the end of the day to me it's it's equally about the journey as, a, as it is about the destination. And I kind of like the journey. So, but yes, I don't know what you guys think about this sort of motif of like the, the book actually being an important part of this sort of narrative that kind of just not only is just a MacGuffin in, in there for the character to kind of just do something, but it's an integral sort of narrative within a narrative that kind of just brings things together. I think it's possible the whole thing is the book. Like, to be honest, I think it's possible that like everything or even like I maybe my favorite theory more is that everything like outside of the real world, but everything that happens in like the bubble, I'm going to call it um, like mm -hmm. all of that, everything that happens, obviously, with the older lives. I think it's possible she wrote all of that as not just her coping mechanism of death, but also to help him move on. I think it's entirely possible. Or possibly that he this is the ending he wrote for himself, as in. He yeah. wants to live forever, and then he realizes that he can't because to live to live forever without her is not means nothing at all. Because he all he has is the tree that he plants, and that, and by the way, like I have to say, this is what kind of, I kind of always liked about the Aronofsky sort of aesthetic is that it's always kind of gross. Like the tree is like when he eats the the bark, it kind of looks like a scab, and then it's just it has hair, and it's just yeah. It's very it's, organic. It's yeah, he's very organic. It's very sort of. I mean, we'll get there next week when we talk about mother. Like spoiler alert, like it, like the cat's out of the bag. But hey, but you know, like it's all everything's kind of gross and very sort of. You know, there's skin and toenails and shit like this everywhere. It's just a, a little bit sort of a, a little bit disgusting. But I kind of have a thing that maybe the uh, the the sort of the biosphere that where he goes into what's the name of the thing? Shibalba. Always or because she shows him through the telescope oh there's this nebula whatever enveloping a star and whatever and she says oh this is what the mayans thought the uh, um the underworld is i'm like wow you're very very well read for someone who has you know um who has no shoes and, and it's outside in the in the snow but anyway but so so that maybe this is his, so he knows about this so he writes this about him so that okay well 
he wants to be with her forever because he knows that she's dead. So she she's in this underworld and he needs to get there. So that's kind of like also fictitious in a way. But and the only thing that happens in is in 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 reality is that the fact that he plants a seed. So everything that kind of happens in reality, reality is the only thing that really happens. But yeah, it's a fun thing to kind of try and break break down because it 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 doesn't really fail. I mean, I like I know that. It's it's fun to maybe it's it's both testament to the quality of the film and the fact that kind of like two thirds through um, through two thirds of the way through it you kind of just start thinking about this because the film's kind of just getting busy with things that you're not really interested in at least I wasn't like because I didn't care about like half of the shit that happened in the hospital so that's kind of I don't know. but yeah like visually say like the 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 Inquisition and and all that like it's all very elevated and it just kind of makes me feel like this is not real right like I, but I really love love the visuals and I really love Mark Margolis he's fucking scary but yeah. Um, you didn't care about the monkey which one the, the one that they keep in a plexiglass container for some what was the what were the monkey from congo the live action monkey that they use in congo say to the slander towards its kind amy hey, yeah what would amy say did you just hear you say you don't care about you know uh, what's the that. what's the monkey's name was it donovan yeah i think it was donovan yeah <laughs> no i mean to me that's that's to me the sort of the big downside of the film is the fact is the sort of hospital thing as in the the, the research part because it's clearly sort of the, the the one thing that's trying to be real but it kind of looks fake i can i can i really like the the things that are fake and are meant to be fake like the conquistadors the the mayans the even like the special effects in the sort of little bubble that's that's great but you know like when they're when Ellen Burstyn is running a, a lab that looks like a like a film set, I'm like, fuck that! This is like an episode of House. <laughs> so yeah, like how you specified the visual effects in the bubble is what is meant to be fake, not the bubble traveling through space, but specifically the visual effects. Well, because yeah, I think they built the bubble right, so it's all kind of very tactile. I like the fact. I don't know what. What did I say? It's not. It's not real though. The entire bubble. Like, sure, if they built it, even it doesn't. Yeah, like, I know. It's I know. Not I know real. It's, not real. it's supposed to be fake, fake right? But yeah. <laughs> they don't actually have bubbles traveling through space with Hugh Jackman bald in it over the big tree. <laughs> I'd like yeah. to see like behind the scenes footage of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then I had a question I wanted to kind of ask you guys about this, and then I was I was thinking, well, I might as well ask it now, because. Especially in turn, it's basically two questions rolled into one because I kind of I'm kind of interested in most of the films that we cover in here in how they kind of fit in what the filmmaker is doing in general. So how does the fountain kind of fit within this sort of like if like we're not in 2006 anymore, we're in 2021. So Darren Aronofsky's made uh, one, two, three, four, five films since then, something like that. How does it? kind of fit in there as in because i have a feeling i have a feeling it kind of defines his it's almost defined his career because before like requiem for a dream and pie were kind of slightly different sort of creations so i kind of think that this is an important film for him and then the, the second question i kind of had what do you guys think about the idea of do you think this would have worked better um i mean carson you probably don't don't think that at all because you already think it's perfect but you know like would you think hypothetically especially Niccolo, um, would it work? Be- would it have worked better if he had, if he didn't make it at 
the age 30 something he, if he had waited 15 years to have some more life experience behind his belt i don't think so honestly but he, he clearly made it at the time he felt it was right even wanted to make it earlier um and reading up on why he made it it was interesting to read that it was because his parents got cancer originally um and that made him very afraid of death or what was going to happen when they died but then they survived they managed to survive the disease, which is wonderful. And and the story shaped and changed over time. Like the original version was going to be different, darker, I think. Um, I, I, I think it's it was made at the right time. Even speaking about like actually 2006, it was very interesting. I watched this film on movie and attached to it, there was like a movie notebook that was talking about 2006, which was like the last year for weird blockbusters. And I was reading the list of movies and they were pretty right. Like a lot of weirdo. I can look it up if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go for it. No, in, in in general, I kind of I, I kind of feel I don't know. I'm kind of off two minds on this. Like Carson, what do you what what do you think? Like, would you would you think this was this was a good time for him to make it? I mean, I think part of this film is that it is about accepting death when it's like you don't have that time to be like, oh, my entire life, right? She's dying rather young as part of it, that acceptance. So I think so. I also don't think it's impossible that he goes back and doesn't make, you know, maybe the same film, but makes a very similar film once he is older and he has a different perspective. This is capturing his views as a, what, 30-year-old and his views mm-hmm. on death and his view of life being taken away. Like, I think that's a very valuable perspective regardless of like, if it is the most, you know, high the most heightened stage of enlightenment you can find on the topic. I don't think like I, I think it's completely valuable for what it is. And I think it wouldn't exist as it is if he made it later. And I think it's a masterpiece now. So I'm happy we got it. I do hope maybe he goes back in the future and makes a similar meditation once his perspective changes if it does. But no, I think it's perfect for what it is. I can see something more dour and less optimistic over time. Um, especially given that more people pass away as time goes on, maybe maybe something changes in him as well. Who knows? Who knows? But that's an interesting thought, actually. Because uh, I was, um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, as he, because he was like, the original idea came from, like I know, like, he's. You guys may not think this yet because you're kind of slightly younger than he was when he made it, right? But like, what the fuck do you know at age thirty? Like, <laughs> this is kind of just like I'm, I'm knocking on the door of 37 i barely fucking have an idea what what life is about right but but you know so it's kind of like it kind of feels that way to me like it's i don't want to say it's infantile but it has these moments where he just he's kind of like feels like he's kind of emotionally lashing out and it's just this is where he kind of loses me and this is you this is usually with with scenes with uh, when he's as a doctor and then he, uh, when Rachel Weisz is on her deathbed and he's trying to kind of just, you know, do desperately whatever he can to save her. And I can, I get, I get the idea behind it because it's, it almost kind of just weirdly talks about, um, let's just call it the sort of interesting sort of aspect of masculinity, but because this is usually what men do as in men want to play God. Men want to think that no, I'm I'm not okay with, with 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 this thing happening. I'm not okay with this woman dying. I'm going to change the world to 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 save her. Right? This is this is a very sort of male perspective, and then of course this is this is this is doomed to fail. But this is you know this is also a part of a male experience to realize where your sort of limitations are as a human being, and we kind of tend to as men 
realize these limitations by, well, running against a brick wall and realizing, well, you can't run through it. That's not happening, right? So it's an interesting sort of conversation, I think, but but I kind of have a feeling that he was a little bit too young to me to kind of just, because he, his parents got cancer and they got better, right? So it's like, oh, so he didn't even get the sort of, um, he, he didn't get the sort of full journey to sort of realize like, holy shit, like this is happening, right? That this is real. And it kind of maybe also, feels that way. He was engaged to Wise at the time. So like, I imagine directing the person you're deeply in love with, like at a very yeah. crucial stage in your relationship where you're getting engaged, like, directing her dying and writing that i can imagine it probably is pretty harsh like i can see why he'd be emotionally lashing out but i think also like that's kind of like the truth of the situation to a point like yeah, i get why the character is lashing out emotionally right? because his love is being taken away from him um oh yeah, yeah but this is kind of like a hypothetical sort of situation for him anyway i mean was he in, engaged when he was writing this or were they engaged when they started shooting engaged in 2005 so i'm really not sure okay. they were together since 2001 According oh, okay. to who's dated who.com. <laughs> you can always count on Nicola to, to show up with hard facts. <laughs> you uh, like it. No, I've also found the list of movie, by the way, of the okay. 2006 movies. Like they, they list Marie Antoinette, Children of Men, Southland Tales, The Iwo Jima Clint Eastwood Diptych, Inside Man, Miami Vice, mm-hmm. Idlewild, Crank, Id- Theocracy, The Holiday, The Black Dahlia, The Science of Sleep, The Good German by Soderbergh, The Free Burials of Melchiedes Estrada, Running with Scissors, World Trade Center, Scanner Darkly, Fast Food Nation, 300, Apocalypto, Little Children, Lady in the Water, Stranger Than Fiction, Hollywood Land, Little Miss Sunshine, Silent Hill, Perfume, The Prestige. It, yeah, it's those oh. are the kind of big budget Hollywood movies with a lot of stars that and we po- don't just and, and see didn't anymore. work at all, right? <laughs> and most of them failed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Except for like the more action focused ones. Yeah. Everything else was kind of like uh, just like, shifting all over like the place. Like the prestige or yeah, the, I don't know. Three hundred, yeah. Three hundred, I suppose. But then like so pop quiz, like how many of, of the films you mentioned do you think are on the sort of list to uh <laughs> to be on the show at some point? Most. Quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we have a special guest joining us, Dr. Mr. Filibuster himself. <laughs> That's the official name now. <laughs> Where is he? There's going to be uh, some, some dead air going on here. Hello? Now then, now then, now then. Yeah, <sighs> so I think we have a special guest in here. Um, so we might as well you know, make it happen like, like, like we did with Carson in, in the Conco episode. Hi, Who else Jack. is joining? Who else? Oh, it's me. Sorry, I thought someone else was joining that for a second. That's yeah, very sweet you. of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're I'm, I'm... a special entrance. Like, you know. Oh, wow. I'll probably get one uh, and you know an entry soon, but that's very sweet of you. I've just noticed that um, uh, Nicole's got some shit on his T-shirt, so I just thought I'd bring the proper one and bring some taxi driver stuff there. You know, master of the craft. Just for, 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 for those of you who don't know, because this is still radio, like Nicolo's wearing a, a written and directed by Quentin Tarantino t-shirt and Jack fucking yeah. hates Tarantino. So that, that is You also wouldn't notice, but the first thing we said when we opened the call was Yaka mentioning that you weren't going to like that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. fact. No, I think what I said exactly was, we're never going to leave this place, are we? <laughs> well, do you know, to be fair, sometimes I get dressed in the dark as well, so it's not a big issue, don't worry. I do. I do apologize. I'm late. There's some absolute arsehole in front of me who couldn't understand the traffic light system. So I do apologize. My phone decided to die. So well, 
anyway, so we're talking about the fountain by Darren Aronofsky. We're exchanging thoughts about you know how now we're we're deep into sort of conversations about life and death and and everything. So how about you share your first impressions about what do you think about the fountain? Let's go and you know like dive into the deep end of the pool. Let's go. Well, it's more some more about Aronofsky for me because I, I haven't seen Pi, I haven't seen his debut, but I've seen I think everything else. And I came to Darren Aronofsky uh, probably when I was in, first introduced with Terence Malick, which was a true Tree of Life era, so 2010, around about then. And then I just I just sort of like a back catalogue of his work. So watching sort of most of it, but but sort of well actually this might that might be even later. I think it was 2014 when I sort of was re- introduced to his work. It was I was a very late bloomer, um, so and I believe Noah's, all, that was Noah era. <laughs> well, that that exactly that's exactly my point. It was it was a Noah's Noah amazing era. Sorry. I do also, yeah, I, I do think it has a, it has a, uh, it has a um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't want to go into no, no is a strange film, it, it, it just narrates the Russell Crowe, you know, Anthony Hopkins, it's a very, it just, it's a breadcrumbs for, for a lot of mother, and I suppose this one is as well, but for me, Aronofsky is a very interesting director, his name came up when, it, when he was touted to do Batman Begins, he was meant to do da- uh, Batman Year One, wasn't it, the Frank Miller mm-hmm. comic, and then I think it was him, the Wachowskis, and I believe there was someone else. I think it might have been Fincher. I don't know. It, Fincher usually puts himself to all that sort of shit anyway. But um, that, that's the first time I sort of understood his name, researched it a little bit. And then that was it. That was it for a long time. And then having studied film and having to study film, Requiem for a Dream comes up, which I think is probably his magnum opus. And then, again, just sort of to drill in, to toy up the surface of the fountain. This is all, the only reason why I've watched the, the, the fountain is basically to, to, to just checklist his back catalogue. On first impressions of that film, I, I, do, I, dare, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but it generally sort of blew me away. It's only like an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and 40 at tops. It's not very long. It has Hugh Jackman in an era that it wasn't particularly great. Like it has he Rachel. It wasn't Bites particularly in, great. He, this was his or, year. In Australia. Well, come on. The, the film with Baz Luhrmann. It wasn't a good era for Hugh Jackman. Well, it was two in, years later. In, in the same year, oh, he did on. The Prestige. Well. well apparently, I, I, apparently it's twice, your right, favorite yeah. Christopher Nolan film, right? So, you know, just, you well, know, just laying out the facts, ma'am. Depends what, it depends what day I uh, remember. 2006, I thought it was 2008. I do apologize. Yeah. That's strike, that strike one for me. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the Fountain is like a, it's a film that, I don't know. I, sorry, I always get mixed up with The Wrestler, which is probably his second best film. God, even that's a stretch. Um, but the, the Fountain was always like the one where it was, it was the film where it was sort of slightly out of his comfort zone. And I remember reading up about it. And I remember it was meant to be a Brad Pitt, Kate, ba- Kate Blanchett film. Yes. Yes, which we, was we, which we is interesting. This, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, w- yeah, which always sort of interested me more. So, and then you see Kate Blanchett and Ryan, um, so Ryan and Brad Pitt, Ryan Reynolds, and, yes, and Beverly, <laughs> yeah, yes, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. That's strike two. Um, but no, I, the, the, the fountain purely on a basis to watch it. There was no interest. I didn't go out my way to watch it. It was just simply, I'm going to go through a few films. If it comes up, I'll watch it. Uh, in his filmography, it did. And I was quite frankly blown away by it. It's it's a it's a strange film, as as you've probably all mentioned. It's a very divisive film, but it hasn't really got the sort of limelight in his career that probably would do now. I mean, his his previous exploit, well, his latest exploits, Mother in particular, um, has definitely taken that sort of moral ambiguity role uh, and the, the 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 conversation subverted subtextual conversation about religion 
um, which he seemingly wants to talk, did not discuss the subtext, but rather more so the context now, which I suppose is, is a slightly something that brings him into uh, disrepute for me personally. I like the subtext more than the actual um, context why, why, of it. Why does it no, bring, hold on. Why? Why? Why does it bring they, him into disrepute? Like, just elaborate because, for when, me. When you when you look at like and for Carson, because Carson's definitely interested in this because he loves this film, by the way. No, I, I no, just I I really do. I, the Fountain's a five star film for my lesser boy. I, I generally really do like this film, um, but it's always the film where it was like it's like he has he has a trilogy and he has this, he has Noah, and he has Mother. That, that there is his three moral tales about life, and then he has his darker realism aspect, which is Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler. And probably pie if you want to go that far. There's probably one. Um, one there is there is very little realism in pie. Pie is well, kind no, of I, like I, his I, eraser I, I head I almost. Realism, I think like, like <laughs> a more hum- let, let, Let's put it this way: there's a more human element to pie. I think. Uh, no, it's all about I, I religion. So. Yeah, it's all I, about I, religion, I dude. So. I don't know. I've, I've seen, it's been years when I, since since I saw pie, but it's all about sort of religion and all about sort of these sort of. Um, Oh, let's say like codif- codified myths and numbers, and yeah, it's it. He's always been interested in that. I would say that almost the wrestler and, to a lesser extent, Requiem for a Dream are an outlier. And then no, this I, is I, what I he's would... most in, interested in. Like this is not just the trilogy. Like all, like even Black Swan is kind of like like that. No, I. I'll, I'll, let's, I'll, I'll paraphrase. I'll go, I'll go back. I'll, I'll correct myself. Let's strike through one more, and I'm, I'm out. But I've <laughs> I've only been here five minutes. I think that he has a human. Let's say is a human fantasy element, which is Wrecking for a Dream, The Wrestler, and Black Swan. It looks at the the, the fragility of man and, and woman, right? And then he goes on on another trilogy, which is more so. Yes, it has morality about man, for, fragile about humankind, but it's more. It's also more like existential. It's far more greater in sort of the the the, the, the idea of the, the 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 black hole that is is you know religion that that is fate so forth so so on so forth which again interests me coming from like a person who, who, who is fanatical about the matrix that sort of stuff is always i i do like it but i don't like it an outlier like i, I find that when when he also when, likes the matrix by the way do you know that darren aronofsky yes he's well, a, this, this, this he's a massive influence on this film yeah and that's one of the inspirations behind this film by the way yeah that's what i said yeah yeah so you know he's he like you two are uh, you know very much alike. <laughs> yeah, it, interesting enough. As <laughs> only well, two I, who likes the Matrix, you know, very niche group. I yes, guess. there's there's no, very few I, of us. I'd like to know if you, what he thinks about the sequels. If he if he doesn't like him, he's dead to me. But other than that, it's fine. <laughs> but um, but yeah, th- th- this is. I, I find that there's there are two of the uh, versions of Aronofsky. There is one where he looks at the like I said, the human fantasy element, human like realism and fantasy intertwined, and then he looks at the sort of the the existential human element that, that goes a lot deeper into sort of his uh, ideologies of, of religion and, and what he sees in that, um, that when he, what he wants to project. I don't know out of the three, out of the two trilogies, which one I would prefer. I think he's a better filmmaker with the, with the black swans, the wrestlers uh, and, and wrecking for a dream. But to say that this film was made with $35 million dollars, there's hardly any CGI in it whatsoever. It's all used photorealism, um, used at chemical plants and stuff like that, where he, he maximizes the image, blows it up, drops dye, uses a chemical reaction, and that's how he gets all of his colors. I think it's a fucking genius. If there was one film to showcase how, how much of a scope he had as a director, this would be my example of him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I think that 
when, when you look at him as on a narrative level and, and as a director, as a, as a cinematic filmmaker, then it would be Wrecking for a Dream. Because I think there's there's certain shots in there. There's a, the Clint um, Mansell's um, soundtrack is phenomenal in that film. Everything comes together. He has, he has a group of actors who are at their time, at the, not necessarily the peak, but brooding up to be something interesting. Jennifer Connelly, Jaletta, uh, the, the Wayans, you know, there's... there's there's a lot there to look at, especially when it's, I think it's almost two decades, well, it's over two decades old now anyway. Then you get to the well, fountain. exactly two decades, yeah. Yeah, to the 1999, I believe. Uh, anyway. Yeah. But when you look at the fountain, it's something that's slightly outside of his, so let's say, I don't want to say like it's, it's his safe boundary, but it's going the next step of, of realising something that he wouldn't surely be able to make possible. And on the $35 million budget, I think it's phenomenal. I don't particularly like Hugh Jackman as an actor, which is interesting because I think him, him in Bad Education is phenomenal. I think he's a, he's very good when the material fits, but for the most part, like when you get to stuff like The Greatest Showman, it just makes me feel sick. And then Rachel Vice, oh, what, a, what a segue! Well, well, we'll go on that. that's, that's for an argument for another day. But Rachel Vice is, is a performer that's always intrigued me because I know you've spoke about the Mummy, and I think she's fabulous as Eva, but mm-hmm. she hasn't re- ever like sort of gone to the heights as probably she deserved as an actress. She's in little bits here and there, and she, she, she's in, you know, um, I can't remember the, 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 the film with um, Ray Fiennes, The Constant Garden. I remember she was quite big in that, and then there was a, then she was in that like, Jason Bond thing, and then she married J- James Bond. Um, but she's always been, like, an interesting, like, uh, you know, actress for me. And then she was in the... Uh, the lesbian drama, the Jewish lesbian drama, I can never remember the name. The Jewish it. lesbian drama. Disobedience? Yeah, Disobedience. Oh, disobedience and then yeah. she, she was found by film Twitter after, what, 30 years as an actress. And it sort of blew up as she's in The Black Widow. She's doing everything here. But this is the first time where I was like, acknowledge the fact that like, this woman's actually like, phenomenal. But she's never like, had sort of the sort of, um, well, she's been sort of, let's just say. Well, she was married. By... She was married to Aronofsky. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then she was, she was discovered quite recently by the let's just call it the online community for fear of using the phrase film twitter and then discovering that I'm on, and i have a bingo on my bingo card now um but she never had the sort of critical um like acclaim attached to her not not, not for longer than five minutes like yes yeah but then like let's just roll, roll back a few a few sentences to what you said um say earlier so, so let's just throw it to the to the panel as well like um do you guys all actually think? Because you, know, you, you, your sort of supposition is that you know, like this film is more about the sort of like grand scale existentialism, right? And then yes. the sort of grand ideas of life and death. Where I would actually say it's kind of both this and the small scale sort of story about a man trying to f- figure out how to cope with her love dying. I think that's a means yeah. of a way, though. I think I think that's a very smart narrative direction for Aronofsky to to. To, to not alienate his viewers in a genre piece that's a, that's a far bigger um, subtextual analysis of something uh, that, that he doesn't want to alienate his audience with. So he builds up a really fascinating relationship between the two. I think three separate narratives, let's say intertwined narratives, but let's say there's three separate narratives here, are very interesting to look at. They all do work. I'm, I never thought like myself that I was bored in them, but I do find that like he's a very... He's an incredibly smart filmmaker because when you look at something like Mother, which I'm not going to talk too much about because I know that that's been in the week. pipeline, but it, that is a film yep. where he is alienating the viewer from minute one. And how does he do that? He uses the biggest star on planet Earth as an actress. Bang. 
he's incredibly i mean that on paper would seem like well that's just a very very easy idea it's not you, you know you, you have to maintain a relationship with the actress which ironically did off, offset but you have to sort of have They're someone together right with yeah Jennifer Lawrence. We, yes they were yeah yeah he, he, like, he has a, i smell a pattern with, by the way yeah 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 <laughs> yes he has a thing with his with, with his lean actresses but if there's if there's that communication that interest in the material it, that film for me works but it, he's a very interesting filmmaker where he understands the property but he also understands his audience and i think having these two actors and actresses who have wonderful chemistry as well which i didn't particularly expect um come together i think that's the basis of the conversation for this film but i don't think that's the overall goal i think it's interesting that you would find that the better part of the film rather than the existential thematic growth oh, that's the sure it's a better part like, yeah but, but you think it's more stable yeah. uh they do have three narratives, Jacob. Bear in mind, well, like... I, I think actually, like we before you joined in, I think I, I actually did say that I kind of feel there's even there's the fourth one because I kind of feel like the book is very important in there, as in like the the two out of three narratives happen fict- fictitiously, and this is kind of like the Mobius strip is it, right. So it's it, it's a bit sort of more, um, I think intriguing to to de- to decompress. I think, but mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know, like what uh, Carson and Nicola, what, where do you guys stand where, on, on this? Because, you know, it's, it's an interesting question, I think, for Jack. I see this kind of like Days of Heaven for Terrace Malick, and not nearly as, you know, I mean, this is far, far better than that film, and it accomplishes way more because I think that that film is hurt by this. But this is kind of like the meeting of Darren Aronofsky's two identities. He has this deeply personal, very deeply. Um, you know, human element to it, but he uses that as a catalyst to find the deeper emotional like pull and the deeper thematic elements. I think that's the kind of the genius of this film. And this is why I said this is his masterpiece. This is his magnum opus is because due to that, I think it's so much easier to engage on a much more deeper personal level than something like mother. I love, like, I love thinking about mother and I love breaking down mother. I can't say that's a film like personally hit me. I think it's very mm-hmm. easy with a film like this when it's this personal, this raw of emotions, dealing with something like death to personally become invested in this film and personally feel those emotions. So I think this is like the blending of those two identities, but it's elevated because of it in both senses. And, and just on, on that note, then, what your thoughts on Wrecking for a Dream very quickly. Is, you, is that very close to you as well, regarding how close it is as a magnum opus? Are you, you straight-laced at the fountain? Oh, I think this is like... Straight Lace his favorite. Oh, I mean, wow. his, favorite, his best. I think this is a masterpiece. I think th- this, this is my favorite Aronofsky film. Oh, oh, God, I can't even say that. So Requiem was, was your favorite, right? No, I think it's a better... Fi- that, that his, <laughs> he will never make a better film than that. Objectively, I don't think he could make a better film cinematically as that film. Is this the Robert e- Roger Ebert I don't, of I, the situation again? Like, you know, one's a better film, that, but you like the that, other one more? It's just a yes, like, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal exactly what Carson said last week. Uh, mimicking once again, I, 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 there's something about this film where it's. It, I don't want to say the word, but it's almost fucking perfect. Like well, it, Carson uh, thinks it, it is perfect. Yeah, stop. we we we, <laughs> we spoke about Miami Vice last week, and the more the more I, everyone spoke about that film, and I do want to apologize because at the end of that, I was like, I was like speaking over everybody at the end when they were talking about their three best pieces, but it made it like. It was just like so invigorating listening to what other people like because the, the, the film has had a particularly difficult history um, finding a fan base and everyone was speaking like, oh, I love this. Like Kevin, Carson, Nick, y- yourself, Jacob. I was like, fucking hell, yes. But 
speak like hearing the, the fountain already like i'm bubbling that mm. has such a special place in my heart for that like it really does just you wait until Nic- nicole says something because you know he has stuff to say <laughs> well I, I, I can't tell him i would I, I would have thought knowing nick that nick would be a massive fan of aronofsky i would have thought I'm, I'm, I'm the total opposite about aronofsky i don't <laughs> like him um no but it's not just just not not liking him it's it's always about the stories it's always about the stories with him because I think it's it's a brilliant style, brilliant execution. Like it's untouchable. You cannot touch a movie like The Fountain. I think almost objectively so. Mm-hmm. Um, just gorgeous. But I will say about, about the question you asked before, Jack. Um, I I see the bigger unlike something like another Malik film. Actually, I was thinking about Tree of Life. That's a film that contextualizes everything in the macrocosm to then focus on the on a microcosm it's like the biggest and the smallest and i think this one does it more in the sense that by by looking at the interconnectivity of people the vastness of the universe and all that is actually trying to tell a more personal story i don't think it's the opposite i do think like carson said honestly yeah um but there's there's I just cannot really put my finger on what's lacking, what's missing f- for me in his movies. Even Wrecking for a Dream, you mentioned, I enjoy it, but that's another one that's like halfway through, I just kind of tune out. I wow. never find an emotional engagement with any of the films to go like, oh, wow, I'm actually like getting affected by what's happening here. I'm just kind of like, okay, yes, this is happening. I, I, I think that's also, it's, it's, I don't know, it may sound, but like, I, I can almost feel he's directing too much. Like, mm-hmm. unlike other filmmakers where I just sit down and I'm just watching the movie with him, I'm always, like, feeling the choices. Even with this one, like, certain key moments, you get repeated multiple times or you get slightly different perspectives. And it's... But that's part of, part of the experience, I think, right? That, that's true, that's true. But it's, it's always, like, these little choices that kind of take me out of the film. Like I can feel like, okay, I'm sitting down, I'm doing the storyboard. It's like, it's, it's going to turn around and this time he's bald, but then again, he's, then he's going to have hair and beard. Um, it's, it's very much a personal thing. Is, is that I'm a not... personal comment on the, this film in general, his, his, his filmography? His filmography, but also like mainly talking about this film, yeah. Or maybe yeah, because... is, is it a general comment in general? Say in general, as in like, do you like or do you do you not like when the filmmaker puts themselves in front of the film? Because this is what he, he he's one of those filmmakers that you kind of feel uh, that there is an artist telling you shit. Like it's not like um, <laughs> telling think, you shit. No, no, because it's like wow. there, are, there are filmmakers where you can just lose yourself in a story, like. I mean, and, well, another one of those that kind of just, I don't want to b- bring out the Q word, but like, but you know, like, oh God. yeah, but then there, there are filmmakers like the Palmer and Tarantino that you, you feel that there's a filmmaker in front of you and then there's the film and there's filmmakers like, I think Scorsese is a good example mm-hmm. where you can, where you can just tell your story and you just forget that this, this guy's behind the camera. He's just, he's just whispering the story into your ear and you're just, that, that, sound, that, that sounds like on a, on a subliminal level, that's like auteurism there. Um, yeah, so so that's pretty I mean, much. but it's so a different you, style you of, of like being it? an author. I I know I, I love it. I love it honestly. I, I it's that's the weird thing. Like just for Jack who wasn't there before, but like what I said in the beginning is very true. I look at Aronofsky's filmography and I and I was like I I want to love it. Like he loves all of my favorite filmmakers pretty much. Mm-hmm. We share many of the same tastes. He 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 makes 
bold genre films with a lot of money compared to other mm-hmm. ones, which is something I absolutely admire. And his ambition is not going for like, oh, let's make it on the cheap or just finding... It's, it's, it's never looking to find a way to make something easier for himself while sacrificing the visuals. So it's the opposite. He's trying to mm-hmm. maximize the budget that he has to make the biggest spectacle possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm, but it's always, I, I don't know. With him, I'm just, I'm just admiring what he's doing, but I'm never like invested in the stories. And I found the same thing here. Like in the three different storylines, I would say the one, the one that I, that just couldn't care anything about was the bubble spiritual one. Oh, um, really? Which is the connecting tissue. That's the thing. It's the connecting tissue of everything. It, this is where it like, comes together. That's the thing. That's the fact. Yeah, yeah. Or the like the conquistadors one is the one that has more action and violence. It's a bit nasty, and it has the magical realism at the end. And and the, the modern day one has the core of the story, the emotional core. It's the love. It's the romance. It's everything that ties everything else together in terms of narrative. But I always feel very detached. It's frustrating. <laughs> I wish I could be here like, oh yeah, like, I love this film. It's just, I resonate with it. But I just don't, which is sad because I, I love so many of the themes that he tackles here. But, mm. Would you say in general film, like for films that are trying to be more grounded, I guess you could say in soul or for lack of better words, whatever you want to say, it's like not clearly fictional, like Lord of the Rings or whatever. And they have that element where it's clearly like fictional and it's clearly like this very crafted space. Do you find that to be generally something that you don't like? Or is that more of like an Aronofsky thing? No, Aronofsky. Okay. Like I would, I would honestly say it's so weird because like my taste in film, I would consider incredibly eclectic. Like I range from trashy <laughs> B movies of the seventies to pretentious. To to <laughs> like I, I watch literally everything, and I have favorites in literally yeah. every genre, every year. It's insane. It's just an Aronofsky thing. I really do think it's the type of style. Like, is it the okay. is it the aesthetic as well? As in, like, it's not like I'm trying to psychoanalyze you. No, but, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but like, it feels calculated. But but but, this, oh, but, this, yeah. but then I watch other films like yeah, but Kubrick's calculated too. You can tell. That's the thing. It's but I can only really say like, like you can't you, like see even even now when you like I know he's he's been uh, on records and saying like this this one he was inspired by th- things like 2001 and it kind of feels arrogant when people say things like this when it's like oh this is my 2000 2001 like go fuck up sit down like you yeah. know just yeah. like you know like know your place because this guy is kind of like on a different level and you don't really interact with him critically it's very difficult at least for from like in general yeah it's an element of pretentiousness definitely coming from him but it's fine i i, I think like just to kind of like reach a closing argument on this thing i really do think it's literally just aronofsky because I love a lot of directors are very in your face. Uh, you mentioned Tarantino, De Palma, all the others. Like I, I love pretty much all of them. They're in my, in my best favorite directors list on Letterboxd. So yeah, it's, it's him. It's him. Every movie. Every movie. It's weird. I don't know if I would ever click. I hope that either Black Swan or The Wrestler will work. That's what everyone keeps telling me. Have have you haven't seen those two films? They're the last ones I have to watch. Oh, oh my know. goodness. You have homework to do then. They're wildly <laughs> different. I'll just the, FYI. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Thema- like, thematically, <laughs> not so, though. I would say thematically. The- uh, I don't think thematically is the issue though with Nick right now. Not, <laughs> what he's describing is not a thematic it's, issue. Aesthetically, one is very, very grounded, and the other one is basically an art house horror. 
right? So you know, we should think. We should think. Like, I don't like that 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 raising of Black Swan. I think that degrades that film. Oh, I know it. Dig- I, well, and I'm not trying to be reductive in here. I'm trying to kind of sell sell the it's, idea. It's what is, what is more, what it more or less is film. in two in two no, sense, but, in two words or less, right? Like fun fact, actually talking about Black Swan again. That's another Aronofsky film. I was in the theater to watch The King's Speech, and the oh, trailer wow. scarred me. I was I was like 12, 13, whatever. Um, I was watching it with my parents and I remember the trailer of Black Swan came on and it just literally, like, like I watched the King's speech, but then when I was almost just thinking about that film, I was like, that looks insane and truly disturbing. And we decided to all watch it together. Like, oh, when, it, when it's available, like on DVD or whatever, we're going to watch it together. And we never did. But then every time it comes out, they're like, oh, no, we have to watch it together. And it's literally one of the only films I cannot watch alone on my own. So there have been times where I've been tempted. I'm like, no, but I have to watch it with What's them. What's the toenail scene in the don't, trailer? Don't, don't watch Black Swan with, with your parents. No. No, I, I, they've seen worse. I mean, they've you're, seen you're, worse. No, you're an adult. Like, avoid, come on, like, it's not that. that bad. Like, it's not like you're watching Salo with your parents, you know. No, but it's. Oh. I've seen. I've, I've just, seen. It's slightly awkward. I, I, I watched it with brought, my parents. I brought no, I my mother my to the Evil Dead in the cinema in 2013. So. Oh, great! That's, yeah. She I, she I, always I, said she like watched half of the film. I would I would be very surprised that if you watched both of those films, you would come back with the same criticism you would have for Aronofsky's work. I would be very surprised if you did. I think you'll you'll love those two films. I think. I, mean, I, you, I hope. I Especially so. if you consider that the wrestler came off the heels of this. I think you'll love the wrestler. I'm not so I I'm not confident you're gonna love the black swan, but oh. you might. I'm not yeah, gonna love Okay, we're on right, we're on the air right now. Let's take bets. Okay, Nicolo, you go over the weekend what you watch wrestler and black swan and we need to kind of take bets on what which one he's gonna like more. I'll tell you, I'll I'll do I'll do write this down. Yeah. I'll do it because Castle's on the tattoo. I'll go I'll go one further. Right. If 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 he gives those two films both five stars, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You tattoo Quentin. But I don't give stars no, anymore. No, 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 Jack. no, no, no. I don't give stars anymore. Uh, well, no, no, you don't do that. <laughs> I don't win that. No. If I really love both movies, okay. If if they enter my all-time favorites list. No, no, no. That's, oh, that's, no, that's, that's no, that's not like. But if you if you like. If you love Wait, what's them both. the bet? <laughs> what is Jack going to do? The bet, the bet is which one he's going to like more. No, but no, let Jack, what's Jack going right, to okay, do? Yeah, 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 let's do this. Yeah, sorry. Go, I go get on. to choose the Uncut gem slate for the month of June. Well, hold on. Look at him, he knows that. Because he's going to check if he's got something he loves on there. No, because there's 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 something connected to a giveaway, and I'm not, and I don't. <laughs> and I don't know if it's in June or in, or or is it still in May? Nick Nicola, you you will you will adore the wrestler. I'll right. I'll give you oh, no I'll give you August. You're confident. No, because that's that's reloaded, isn't it? That that's the Matrix. That. Uh, no, no Matrix it's in December. Why do you like think the November. Matrix is anywhere? <laughs> you wish it was in December. Tomorrow for me, it's tomorrow. The uh, Matrix is November. Fine, that's fair enough. So you I take August. I think you will adore. I mean, but then, well, the you'll have slip. to seed one episode to uh, to Niccolo because he's going to have his birthday episode in in August. So you know. Well, if I fucking to, win, you it's gone. The rest. We can discuss that. We can discuss that. Yeah. No, with fucking car. If I win, it's gone. I, I, I bet you will love the wrestler. I mm-hmm. bet this. You will give five stars to the wrestler, and you give four stars to Black Swan. Okay. I'm gonna predict he gives zero stars to both. Oh, well, he doesn't that's do stars. Always a, a, a contrarian, Carson. 
I'm 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 optimistic. I'm optimistic. Okay, I'm, I need, I need to kind of take the other, the other opposite end because otherwise we don't have a we don't have a wager in here. I'm saying that you're gonna love Black Swan more than you love the wrestler. Ooh. Okay. Oh, that's a that's a fucking t- I'll, yeah. I'll, t- I'll 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 take that bet. Then. No, because if we all say the same thing, it's it's pointless, right? <laughs> yeah, but then I win. <laughs> you know, I, I look. It's all about you, winning. You like I can't pronounce his name. I'm gonna butcher. I'm from Yorkshire. I can't pronounce Chinese. But you like uh, Guagadinos. Suspiria, don't you? Guadagnino? Yeah. What's the Guadagnino. 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 Right. Lucas. Guadagnino. You know, it's Luca. <laughs> You've seen Suspiria, haven't you? Yes. If I remember rightly, you like that film, don't you? Yes. Oh, I'm going to win. <laughs> I think I think you'll like Black Swan. I just don't think you'll love it. I think he's going to like... I, I think he's going to no. love Black Swan. I know. Like, this, is, this is a homework assignment. No. Nick, there's he, so much pressure now. I don't want to. I'm going to make like a really weird comment then. But if if Nicola w- will eat the wrestler, if he could do it for the re- every day for the rest of his life, I know for a fact he will love that film. Oh, no, 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 no question. I think if if we if we come back next week, he likes he likes. He's a big fan of Mickey Rock. Come on, we all know. He's going to win. I, I love it. So I mean, I think we'll come back next week. You you'll have to have watched by and then by then and you'll have to decide which one you like more and I think that that's gonna be um, because that kind of just takes uh, out of the equation the idea of loving them both or loving them so or like not being eh on both you'll have to pick pick the favorite of the two. Oh. Look, I'm gonna I just just to move on here. I'm gonna come out with something contra- controversial. As much as I I really do love this film and I have brought his name up before. The one the one thing I find slightly lacking and I think it like I said. It's because of the era where it's from, which is 06, which is the last stand era. I don't particularly like Hugh Jackman in this film. I think it works as a collective. I think that their, their relationship on, in, on screen, their chemistry, is second to none. I think it's outstanding. My issue is that I don't think he's, at that time, is an actor who's strong enough in, in his understanding of the craft, and therefore it comes across in his performance. He's very good here. I'm not going to lie. He's very, very good. What do you but mean he's, think- he doesn't understand the craft? Like, look, specify. Look, look, when you look at him as a as a as, a, as an actor, right? Mm-hmm. You you for me personally, you have you have the post era of X Men, right? Which is the 06 to let's say you've got well, that's basically the, when he entered the film industry, right? So two thousand to two thousand six, that would be the X Men post X Men era, right? I that's that's the prime X Men. Let's say that that's that's the inauguration of the X Men. Mm-hmm. I think. Working on those films and doing bits and bats here and there, working with with Woody Allen so forth and, and stuff like that, I think that hindered his understanding of of, of range, of understanding the craft in, in in the in the idea of being able to sort of dissect a character and really put something forward that's interesting each individual role. I think that Hugh Jackman has two modes: it's on and off. But it's when, not like he was born in two thousand, like he was a th- no, no, he no, was no. a Broadway actor before that. Like no, he, no, I, I mean, like I mean, he was, the, he, was a, he was a professional actor before. No, no, fair no. enough. But I find that when when you play, when, I don't want to sort of like shit on superhero films here because that's not that's what I'm okay. here to do. Like we do this every week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not don't touch my WandaVision, Jack. Yeah, don't touch it. Good, I'm not. I'm not going to come down to a level and have an argument today, Jacob. I'm not doing that. That's fine. But I, th- I think there is, there is. I've said it before about TV. If you're on TV so long, when you become accustomed to that character, you, you, you subconsciously or not, you become to sort of detract from what is range. You play a character for eight, eight months of, of out the 12, 
you become attached to it and that's what you do for your life for let's say six years it almost well it did let's say we, we've argued this on godzilla but it, it you could say it happened to a uh, brian cranston it has it is going to happen to, to Millie Bobby Brown or, or, the, or the Stranger Things cast if they're not careful. It happened to everybody on Friends. It just happens. You, you're institutionalised after a while. Um, I think that the same thing happened to Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine, where it was just it was just on and off for him for after a while. I mean, after he, he, kind of, um, he kind of inhabited this character almost off stage as well. So it, it doesn't help that you, when yeah, you have he, to he, like, he be would, in like yes. the Comic Cons and whatever and do ah with all these fucking fake fake, fake blades coming out yeah, of you. He, yeah. he was he Post was pictures. The, yeah, he was a Iron Man, to, uh, Robert Downey Jr. combination before you know anyone actually gave a shit or cared. Mm-hmm. Um, and and unfortunately, like shit happens. That's like, fair enough. But there's like it. There's like it. There's just a few films that you have this and The Prestige on the same year, which I think is a fucking banging year to come out of it. But that before that, you've got Scoop. After that, you've got you've got you go Happy Feet Flushed Away, which ugh, Deception Australia. Then he goes back to the X Men gig, and it's just like uh, you know, it, you just think really, and then he goes to the Real Steel, and then you have the second evolution where you have like Les Mis, but then it's Movie Forty Three, the the Wolverine, which um, which was uh, Aronofsky was meant to make as well. Prisoners, you have like one, one hit, one miss, one hit, one miss, one hit, one miss. And then you have like Pan and Chapper. It is just, to me, it's just like it, it's it's the push the boundary, go back to what I know, push the boundary. Like I really like that, like him in the front runner, but that 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 comes after the Greatest Showman. Like I really, Casting Universe, I fucking love him in Bad Education. I think he's phenomenal in that film. But what what's next after this? It'll, for me, it'll he'll go back to something he knows. But he can't do that now because he's, he's not he's not entangled with that character. So for me, I've never been a massive fan of him. I, I don't I don't see the pull. He's a phenomenal performer. I think his 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 Broadway theatricals him as a, his, him as a person. He's made for it. We well, see as well. Yeah, yeah he's, he's very good. He's very good in this, this X Men continuity. Is he shows very good signs, often amazing ability as a performer in narrative. But I don't think he can he can have the, the the five on the bounce. He reminds me of McConaughey in one point. I think that Hugh Jackman's a better performer and a better actor. Speaking of rage, McConaughey has basically an on-off switch. Like that's he only that, does McConaughey. Yes, that's my plus. Well, well, I would say that there was a point where McConaughey would do fool's gold or no, fool, fool's eye. What the fuck? Whatever the fucking thing. Fool's gold. Yeah, gold, uh, yeah gold, whatever. It's like it shit. Gold. I do like Sahara. But he's always though, himself. Like, like, like all right, all right. Like he's always in this sort of. It was, it was like he's in the room. Then fucking hell. <laughs> no, but he's always in the. In that, like, <laughs> like McConaughey can't do anything else. He's always a Texan. No, no I, when he's in when he's in um, True Detective. Also he, the same. He transcended his career there. He, you, just, he just doesn't talk too much. He's just going to squint a little bit, and you know, like he just. Well, I don't know. but some, I like sometimes. him. I, I wonder how he is as a professor because I know he's a professor at a college, I think, in Texas. Who, all of his like company? ratings, <laughs> all his ratings are pretty good. But I'm just. Are you on ratemyprofessor.com? He is. Oh shit! <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, might, I might need to be doing that Newcastle University because I'm not fucking out there. <laughs> but my, my point is just to get get, get to it because I feel like I'm going on for fucking ever. Is that? I just I don't I don't have an emotional connection with that performer. So for me, it's the only part of the film where I'm lacking. It works as a collective, but individually, I look at it and I think in that era, for me, you, you're slightly spoiled for choice. You have like the likes of Edward Norton, you have you have Christian Bale, and you just think fucking hell, like they're, they're, 
that is a personal vibe I have. It's not. I don't think it's. Um, I don't. I don't think it brings the, the overall uh, the, the film down in any way. He, he doesn't detract from anything. It's not like, oh wow, that's Hugh Jackman. I can't imagine Edward Norton in this role. By the way, like it's what no. I, I, I think it's an example of, of an actor caliber at a time where it, it was like you know a few years before he was doing the Italian job. Now, you know, he, he, he's a well, he's going to be knives up too, but you know, he's a very intellectual actor, let's say. He understands a craft, he understands a screenplay. I'm not judging Hugh Jackman at all. I don't, I, I'm not necessarily saying he doesn't do that. I mean, me, is this a criticism that he's not exactly a method actor, as in he doesn't disappear no, into I mean, his characters? It, he's kind I'm of more being, like, like no, Leonardo no. DiCaprio, that you, he's, he's basically like acting like the actors in the 50s would act, as in. He will put on a yes. an accent, and he will um, you know yes. he will enunciate right. So, but I think this is part of his shtick, and that's fine. Like you know, like you didn't have any yeah. problems with like Brian Cranston, who's always on, right? Like, so you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> whoa, like, you having a party or else or something this week? But they're all there. This no, week. It's, um, it's no, it's this. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Monster energy drink. I would watch him that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he just doesn't gel with me as Carson, like, Carson's on the sauce as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just don't think he, he he's a, he's an actor that I appreciate. I just don't gel with him. I don't particularly like much of the stuff he's in aside from his his quite hard hitting dramas. I think he's a phenomenal actor when it when it comes to like ha, ha, having to have a moment in, on screen. I think he's probably second to none in, in in his criteria. I just think in this film it's a little bit early for him. But he has to have that breaking point. He has to jump off the, the, the board at one point. And to get this in the prestige, which I think he's better in this film, I think, again, he lets down the prestige. Because it has to be fucking... And don't, don't get me wrong, it's about magic. But he, he has to go, like, theatrical, even when he's trying to do nuance. It's not, ma- it's not about magic. It's about a guy ma- trying fig- yeah. figuring out how to let, let her wife go. <laughs> no, no, I mean, contextually, it's about fucking magic. I mean, I, I mean, to me, this this is Carson. Back me up in here because, like, I think don't we're, back you know, don't, <laughs> you no, let me hear the statement. I'm backing up first. No, the, uh, this, <laughs> yeah. this, I think this is this is a film about um, about the fundamental concept of of letting someone go and grieving. That's and the, the magic is basically a tool to achieve that. Look, my 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 point is just to, just to get to the fucking point. Well, what, get there what, then. <laughs> what what Nick said about Aronofsky, like. Aronox, you, know, you can see the storyboard behind it. Like every every scene, is, it, it feels like it's always being maintained. The, the lens, everything, it feels like it's being curated, right? I actually find that quite um, progressive in a way that me personally, I can identify with that because I'm like, you, like I said before, I think he's an incredibly intellectual filmmaker. He understands what works. If he can, if he can divide one aspect of his film to sort of integrate on the other and then bounce off that, he will do. My case in point, Two performers like this, and then it has all the existential behind it. Mother, another example that what I've already said in the the, 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 the episode so far. I like that because because I can look at that outside the bubble, the mirror, and I can say, I, I really do. A, I think that's a fucking amazing achievement. I really appreciate that. I just want when I'm watching it on screen, I have the vibe that I want someone to be on screen who understands the same thing as him. And I think with a lot of his performers, with I know we shit on Jared Leto, but with Right Waking for a Dream. I think uh, I think uh, Jared uh, Leto's cult, by the way. No, I'm not. Look, moving on. I can I can, I can neither confirm nor deny. But with Mickey Rock in the wrestler, that's someone who's not not only contextual as a character giving it his all, but that's an actor 
who understands like he fucking needs that and he's there fair enough skin it's vice versa i also feel exactly the same way in black swan noah i think it's a very similar film to this in in, in, in terms of you have two actors who i don't particularly think they may be well cast but i don't think they give the venom and they'll, they'll die on the sword as, as what his main leads would ask for that is a personal issue i have i don't think it detracts from each film it's it, it literally it's fucking nothing i'm making a, a mammoth here out of, out of nothing oh, hold on i can't i'm i'm losing the plot no I'm, it's me. very simple it's it's just an issue i have with the films he makes two two out of the the six of whatever i've seen that i think that you think perform- no it's about nothing is that is that correct no no no, no. I, I said because you just the meandering. issue that he's bringing up is oh. nothing really. Oh right, he's yeah, meandering just a and meandering. Jesus, you, get I to mean, the point. What the fuck are you drinking? Seriously, <laughs> this Monster Energy Ultra. No sugar. Okay, but what's in the can? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what did you put in it? How many no you fucking add? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I found that complaint very interesting because I have no issues with Jackman in this film really, but I think like the point of it is it's kind of like you know this is a role that's dealing with a lot of like very heavy kind of complex motions and it's supposed to lack a craft we talked before you get here about like the kind of like i, I don't know if immaturity would be the correct word but darren aronofsky making this when he was 30 making this when he's still kind of fresh in the sense to life and these emotions and i we talked about well it'd be really interesting maybe if he well i said this i don't know if they agree so i'm not going to speak for them but i said it'd be really interesting to see him in his later years not necessarily remake this but make a similar project with the same kind of thesis but then have the more maturity as he has in his older age if that his views on death actually change i think it'd be really interesting to see who jackman when he in a later years since he has more craft i mean coming out of bad education i think that's rather undeniable I think that would be a really interesting pairing if he ever were to re-explore these themes again in a very similar uh, uh, setting. All I would say I about think that it is, works, yeah. Yeah, all I would say about this is it's interesting that you talk about the genesis of this film because it is brought on by the di- the diagnosis of both parents having cancer. So it's interesting that at Thursday, it's not him coming to the film, is it? It's the film comes to him, which is an interesting thing because when you look at it like that, Cass, and I find that fucking fascinating because ultimately he doesn't really have a choice subconscious to make this film or not. This film's going to come out in other ways more than one. It's thematically that this film will, 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 will find its feet and it will grow, it will brood. Um, it just happened to formulate in The Fountain. I think it could have, that could have been in The Wrestler, it could have been in Black Swan, but it more so is profound here. And when you look at it like that, you think as a 30-year-old man or a woman, just as a 30-year-old human being, to, be, to have that morality brought forward in your life at let's say 30 is not a particularly old age Jacob you turned that 20 years ago I'm turning that in five it's, it's a very different era for both of us but it, 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 it is a time in your life where it, you know on paper it doesn't it doesn't particularly mm. look like something that should be detrimental to the to the life story you have but when you hit 30 and, and something like that happens and thank, th- I think I've read a, thankfully but his parents got better <laughs> yeah but both 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 diagnoses um, they're both fine don't, don't worry but yeah. it's just one of those things where like I do find it interesting like in his filmography he, he seems to I mean he's always wanted to make a comic book film like he, he wanted to make Batman year one but did he, to make... did he actually want to or was this something that some studio no, he, fucking he, no, moguls he, decided oh let's get Aronofsky because he's the hot then. shit in Hollywood now and this is like because he was always attached rest... to like the Robocop remake and whatever I what, think the wrestler ultimately was a superhero thing? film 
like I think that's ultimately probably what he just like wanted that's, to capture. He, he, that's he, probably, he wanted that's to make he is the closest to like a you know superhero film. He yeah, wanted to make a Superman film for 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 honestly for decades. He was meant to do he, the Wolverine, but had one, to drop that. He didn't want to chew in Japan. He, he has had multiple opportunities given and then taken away. So it's interesting that he's always gone out to make that that specific genre film, let's say. But this one, I would say out of his filmography, you could say that Pi is a film was going to be made we, 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 because it's, it's the inauguration of his filmography. We, we wouldn't have Noah, Mother, The Fountain, uh, Wrecking for Dream if it wasn't for Pi. So we have to acknowledge that Pi was always going to happen. But out of anything else, it feels like The Fountain, as I've said before, regardless of what would have happened of anything come to him or, or sorry, him going to any property, the things of the fountain were always going to be made. So it's interesting that you bring up because I think as a, as a as an exercise, let's say, as an experiment, I think it's a very interesting film to look at a 30-year-old creator or creative deal with those morality issues at a very tender age, let's say, in his lifespan. Whereas when you look at Kurosawa with, with, with his film, which is eerily similar about the morality of, of, of life with the cancer diagnosis, it comes at a time where that filmmaker is, is not only... Like he's fucking 80. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But there comes a certain yeah. lifespan of understanding of, of life skills there, but yeah. also behind the camera as well, you understand craft. I mean, when he comes out of the, the, the building, it, it's eerily similar to what happens here when he comes out of the building as well, the city mm-hmm. stops, you know, which is a, a very simple technique used now, now, which I understand then goes back to Nick's point where you can sort of read his films. Um, but I've always found him a very interesting director like that. But as I said before, I like the exercise at him at the very tender age making this film. And I think we may disagree here slightly because I wouldn't want him to make this film at a, at a later age. I think that film will come come to him at that yeah. point, which, I, again, I think it's just him as a... Because I, I really like him as a filmmaker. Maybe I'm putting a little bit more substance to this. But I think that he, the issues in his life will directly contribute to his filmmaking rather than I think when you look at another round, you know, there's Thomas Vinterberg is making that film with, with, the, with the lateness of his, of his young daughter. But I, I think another round would have been made regardless. Those themes, I think if he had three or four years to develop them, I think he would make a very different film. Whereas this, this was going to be fucking made regardless of if it was a fountain, whatever. I hope that understands it. But I think it, when he's 50, I want. I tell you what, Carson. He's now. He's fifty now, right? Yeah. I'll, t- I I'll mean, tell you what. What? what, what it's like no, fifty-one, fifty-two. Uh-huh. Yeah, fifty-two. What? What? What will be interesting now is that when he is personally comes to terms with his own morality, and which you can say this film is directly inspired by, yes, indirectly. But when it's directly, I don't want to wish anyone illness, but w- w- knock on wood. Like you, but, you want to see this film when he and when he actually is affected by death. No, no, okay, no not, okay, I, just, I just think when you're, I just think when, when he's at a later age, I think mm-hmm. that that film about his own morality will be a very, very interesting film, and I think that would be the wonderful companion piece to this. More so I than mean, like, I think that's basically what you're saying, anyway. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what I yeah, wanted yeah. to kind Sorry, of I, I, we went all around the houses there. I do apologize. I mean, I hold, hold, but you put it much better than I did. So no, 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 no I just I didn't stop oh. talk. That's how, that's how I do it. Get a room, boys. <laughs> but uh, hold on. Um, one, ma- one, one point you made, and then when you say like this film he made at the 
let's just say he was 30 odd i think well he started writing well, when he was like yeah because it's all two isn't it because a few years before this it's all three or two yeah but then think about this like he he gets this idea i mean I, I, okay well let's put this in perspective like i like the film and this is probably the only film out of all his filmography that i have genuine problems with i mean even though i like it now um mm-hmm. uh, he makes even this compared film, to I, noah hmm? even compared to noah oh i love noah uh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah um, uh, oh come on no, don't, don't, that's objectively don't, incorrect i'm sorry you no, can sorry, continue but i'm not gonna <laughs> Calm down. Um, no, in terms of... Calm down? Yeah. I might need a glass of water. I think I'm panicking here. Pipe down, Jack. Jesus, calm down. Yeah. I'm going to have a, a drink. No, I just want to... What I want to kind of just say, because you said... You know, I think we've touched on this before in some, to some extent. When you make this, made, you, you make this film uh, at the, say, age of 30, when um, well, he had the idea sort of following an episode in his personal life that's fair enough well i mean but then again um and and i mentioned this i think before we got on that this is kind of like um like a sort of like a, almost a male fantasy as in like because when when men are sort of com- like confronted with sort of the insurmountable sort of move, immovable block of death um it's the sort of it's almost sort of innate in men to kind of just try to heroically conquer this. Uh, this is the this is the journey that men have, as in like to realize that no, you're not a superhero. Like you can't do everything. Uh, but then, so he he wasn't per- personally affected by this. So like his mom and dad survived and whatever. Um, so it kind of feels like it's a film made by someone who wasn't quite yet equipped to to talk about the things he wanted to talk about. At least in my opinion, like, I think that he was. He he was he's saying the right words. He's saying them at the right time. But it feels like there's very little weight behind it personally as a filmmaker. That he still has a life to experience, that that would kind of just put more sort of gravity into the film that somehow isn't there, because it kind of feels. Um, I mean, it 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 feel, feels like a sort of like a fairy tale, like a fantasy to me, and uh, as opposed to something that you know, like some a filmmaker who's translating his own lived-in experience into the into the film would, would do. I mean... Yeah. And I will add just one little thing to what you just said, which I agree, actually, with most of what you said. But also, the romance is very simple. And I would honestly say that most of the film... That's actually something that just came to mind. Like, maybe my problem with the film is that it's it's a simple film that tries to be more convoluted than it actually... Or more complex, or trying to seem more complex than it actually is. I think he's just putting different layers on top of it to make it seem Isn't like a different the... movie. For me, at least, it's just like, yeah, you could have told this in a slightly like more, not necessarily linear way, but like trying to make it seem less complex. It probably would have worked better. Maybe. Isn't, isn't that the whole like complexity, let's say, of, of love itself, though? Like on, on simplistic terms, it's a connection between one or two. It's, it's a bond. But behind that, there's a, there's a pull, there's a gravity towards it that you can't really get explained. It's not, it's not just a, 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 a pull on attractiveness. It's something deep in that, that you, you, can't, you can't really explain. Like, it's just an attachment. Like, it, it, it's so much more, like, to be expressed by it. So, I don't know. I think, I think that's a thing where it's, it's almost the thematics. Like, it's interesting. Like, I've heard a, a lot, uh, Nick, about people said, like, you know, the film's, like, somewhat predictable. Like, it's, it's very simple. But I think that's the genius behind this film is that I think that's a conscious decision by Aronofsky that's life, it has rhyme and it has rhythms. 
it's like Cloud Atlas, not to bring the chassis of the game, but that's actually one of my notes. It's his Cloud Atlas, by the way. I yeah, I mean, it, but it's about <laughs> rhyme and rhythm. It's that it's that ripples in one life um, c- could be a tsunami in the other. I, I think when it's when it's a simplistic like that, it's just that life can be on some terms level. It's it's, it's simple, you know. The, the day becomes night, and night becomes day. Like it, when you look at it, life it's simple. How how the economics of, of, of life works you can describe them quite simplistically but it's what deeper goes behind that i think that's quite perfectly explained baronofsky not that it's like you're an idiot for not understanding i don't mean that i think i think it's a really wonderful way that aronofsky implements that that's something so aggressive I, mean, I think we understand the film it's just no like, I, I, I just think that it doesn't get enough enough appreciate appreciatory comments about that i just think it's a very if I can jump in quickly go, ahead, go, ahead. Or go ahead Jack you finish first no, no, please, please. okay I think you mentioned that that's like it's layered when you look at love I think it's incredibly layered when you look at the fear of death ultimately mm-hmm. we don't know what death is we don't know what lays after death and if you subscribe to a very certain ideology or the populist ideology which is religion it's that after death is actually something wildly positive but still we have fear for it we still regret it we still hate it we still feel all these negative emotions I think that this film captures that kind of layeredness and that depth and that uncertainty so well. And Yakov, I think the point that you were making, I think this is not about reflecting on a life lived and accepting a death. This is being having your life taken away from you by a loved one or not by a loved one, but having a loved one's life taken away from you Mm -hmm. and having that acceptance when that goes against everything that life technically like should be according to society or according to the world we're living in and what humanity is. I think that's rather beautiful. And I think it's rather beautiful to look at the love they share in their relationship. Cause I don't think it's that simple. You have this incredible love where he is so desperate to save her life. At the same time, he's throwing away the life she has. She wants to go on possibly the last walk on the first snow that they'll ever share together, but he can't give that up to do his work. I mean, it's nothing new or revolutionary to be, you know, very transparent, but I think it's incredibly layered and impactful and, powerful i don't think this is a simplistic or i don't think this is a lesser look at any of these emotions i think it is perfect for what it's trying to be it's I mean, tender i mean i don't yeah, think it's tender. lesser or simplistic yeah, yeah. i just think that then i would put a, like to I, I do agree with your comments i would put a little corollary to, to them as in like I, I think that it's more about the idea of having uh like having someone ripped away from you as opposed to well having someone being ripped away from you so it's like to me it has this sort of layer of of a of this being made by a filmmaker who wasn't yet sort of aware of what this would be so it's it's basically like i i think i i may have said this on like the summerland episode right on the on the on clappercast no it's (laughs) the the idea of someone who's too young and too inexperienced who's sitting down locks himself in a closet and writing about something that he doesn't quite have an idea maybe don't maybe don't use that 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 description of that film that slightly (laughs) no but that's that's how it kind of feels to me like he was he was a very young and very successful filmmaker he made made let me finish let me finish (laughs) he he made he made he will be heard I yeah. will be heard. <laughs> no, but I will... <laughs> he made a he made a massive breakthrough. He 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 got his foot in the door into Hollywood. Everyone wanted want, wanted a piece of him, and that, this is when he thought to himself, "I'm Kubrick, bitches. I'm gonna make my 2001." And I have a feeling that this was a little bit too early for him. I do appreciate what 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 the film's doing, but I have a feeling that there's he's to borrow a phrase from a film that I absolutely love. His body was writing checks. His oh, his ego was writing checks. His body couldn't cash. Like he was, he was kind of like, 
I don't know. He was he was he 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 wasn't he didn't have the balls to kind of just carry all this gravitas that he wanted to put in the film, and it kind of just like falls apart like two thirds out two thirds in to me. Like he's, he wants these. He has these grand ideas. He has this massive sort of uh, thing going on in there. He has this beautiful, tender love story, and it doesn't gel very well in the end. He bites more than he can chew. Yes. Look, look I'll go first, but I'll make sure you have a room for for the second digs. First, first and foremost, I think we have to be very careful of, of looking at him as a, as a human being because, as a, as I've said before, my, my opinion of that is that the thematically this was going to be made in one film or another. I think when life intercepts, when reality comes into fiction like that, it's very hard to stop it. But I think when I look at it as a creative, and, and you might agree or disagree here, I've always found that it's always the third film in a director's filmography that's their dream film because you never know when the dream's going to end. And let's bring up the key word for a second here. You have Reservoir Dogs, right? You have Pulp Fiction. You have two massive successes. And the studio comes to him and says, Quinton, make what you want. And he says, I want to make an Elmore Leonard adaptation. Elmore Leonard. I want to make make um, an adaptation of one of his works. Okay, let's do it. It comes out. He puts so much more nuance to that film. It's it's, it's like simplistically like put together rather than his sort of overly confused aesthetic that he likes to push forward. His agenda, let's say. As a filmmaker, it's far better for it as well. It's slimlined. It's technically able at every stop. It's beautifully made. But people don't want to see it because it's not Tarantino. It's something different. But he made that film and he took a massive gap. He took six year gap and made whatever those two films are now after. Um, But it's interesting that the third film in in a filmography is always the one where they have to put it forward on the plate because it may never, ever get a chance again. And I think this for Aronofsky is that he made Pie to wonderful success. Wrecking for a Dream skyrocketed very much like Pulp Fiction. A homemade film, by the way. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. But but, yeah, but the point still remains that it it, it was a different degree of success in that, like it, like the Academy Awards were notified, like he's working with far bigger people. It's it's a breach of something new. Let's say with with a lot of creatives there, a lot of creators. Let's say, and then when you get to, to, to this, it's like he has to make this at one point, and it just comes at the time where he has a more personalized issue. With a th- with a thematic that's relevant in his film, and he and he, he has difficulty sort of comprehending that. But I think it's very hard to say that about about the ego thing about he, he couldn't cash the check. I mean, like, I, I don't I don't understand that that sort of comment really because to me it's like if he's a filmmaker and he he's he's been told make what you want to do, he, he has a choice at that point whether to take take the hand and, and then follow through on it mm-hmm. or. To, or, or to then make another film for them, and then if it bombs, he's fucked. Like, look at it pragmatically. Like, I, d- I don't, I don't understand that criticism because for me, like, what do what I, don't I, you want to make this film? It just, it just happened now. I, I think it's perfectly valid to make this film. I don't think he's too young. I think it. it I think, comes I think he was too young and too inexperienced to actually make make this the way it should have been made. I think that's my comment. That that's pretty much what I'm. Wow, trying to that's say. it. I it's think this is film, good, but I think it, it would have been. I, I would have seen this the way Carson see, see, sees it if he had made it now. No, as I, a man who's experienced something, maybe lost someone, or um, also, I don't know, or, or yeah, like he was still, that, that, like he was a young. I would be careful with that mindset because I think, like, obviously, the subject of like death is an incredibly personable thing. Even if this isn't how like you would make it, I think this is perfect for what he was going through and what he yes. wanted to say. I think, like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of like 
standards where like, I understand this is not how you view death and you view like this and that creates some disconnection. Not necessarily like, practically. To be this has nothing clear, to do with like, me. Have... This is- Well, this... it is because you're the one who looks as if someone had this opinion. No, no. This <laughs> yeah. has, what do you mean? This has to do with- <laughs> Look at him this is this has to do with with how I think that this doesn't connect with me viscerally because there is very little there's very little lived in experience behind the words he put on the page. I think oh, yeah, this, that's is, this, is, this is some, yeah, this is something. This I mean, I don't yeah, I don't want to use the, the Summerland thing again, but this is a <laughs> film basically written written sort of out of thin air without sort of I don't know. Um, with just the needle behind diagnosed it. with cancer yeah and then well yes yeah, so i'll hear so, you about summerland even though i completely disagree i disagree <laughs> with the actual execution i'll hear you out on like the morals behind that but like his parents got diagnosed with cancer yeah, they got what do you mean? so he was like oh crisis averted uh, right that's right, so, the thing so yeah i will go in defense of aronofsky on this thing because he wrote the script when they got diagnosed like the first version, it was going to have Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. Massive and I, battle scenes, I, by the way, too. I yeah. bet that was going to be absolutely like dour, depressing, maybe a tinge of hope, who knows. But I think one of the things, that, one of the elements that I like about this film, which is a rewrite, it's a solid rewrite, years after they survived cancer, there's hope. There's, it's, it's not about the movie. I can, I can see the other one being more about like him or whatever the version was but in this one it's it's about her being ready to live life and to still give him reason to live it's mm-hmm. not about just living in the shadow of her death it's about going on with life planting a new seed and going forward and i think it's a more it's it's because they survived i think we got it because they survived because it's more optimistic it's more about what comes after all of this um, and I, I can see it being way, way darker if it came out, if they actually died um, to the cancer. Also, just but, to be clear, just because they survived doesn't negate the emotions he had when they were no, diagnosed and like, what he experienced. Yes. He still, well, even if it wasn't permanent, he had the experience of having to deal with the <laughs> fact that his parents were dying. Like I, it still I get, I get is on this. his mind. It's, it's, a, it's a big trauma. That's a big I, I trauma. Get, right I get there. this. Yeah. I get the trauma. I get, I, I, I get it. It's just there's something about this film that I can't like. I I thought I think this is it, but I'm not necessarily certain that this, that because I can't fully put my finger on that. I just doesn't get me fully on board with the story. As in, like I I appreciate it the way I appreciate like a like a work of art, like a painting, but I just don't um, interact with it the way I interact with other stories. Like, there's I, I, something I kind of too. prohibiting me from doing this, and then I don't have that much, that kind of a problem with other of his film, other his films. Maybe it's a question of I don't know. Fucking force feeding this like seven more times, maybe eventually I'll just grow to love it, like you know, like like an arranged marriage sort of situation. But but no, it's just like, but but there's something that I I I personally I'm trying to articulate that there's that this may be it, but I'm not necessarily sure that there's something that just prohibits me from getting to the level that you're on, Carson. Like then that yes, I I'm totally with you, Darren. Like this is you know, I I'm. I can I, I resonate with this with my my whole sort of uh, lived in bo- li- body and soul right. There's something that kind of just f- 
forbids sure. me from doing this. And film is subjective. You're allowed to think that way. I just think it's yeah. very important when talking about any film in general. And I know we talk about films in very objective senses, but ultimately your subjective life experience and your subjective emotions are going to come into play with how you subjectively relate to a film. So I think like, yes, it's worth talking about the craft of this film. And yes, you absolutely can have very valid criticisms. I'm not trying to negate what you're saying at all. But like, I think it's also important to look at how when you have a topic this personal and this subjective, how that can come into play with how you actually viewed the worthwhile experience of this. I think it's worthwhile also to look at like, what was Darren, is is this truly what Darinovsky was trying to say? Is this his truth? Is this his experience that he was dealing with? Are these the emotions he needs to get off his chest and like understanding like, even if that doesn't, and I'm not saying this is necessarily what you're saying, but even if it doesn't connect to you necessarily, is that a failure for what the film or even a problem for what the film is trying to go for and specifically what the filmmaker is trying to express? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a failure of the filmmaker. It's, um, I mean, maybe it is partially because I'm not the only person who kind of failed to connect. And some people, like most people kind of didn't connect fundamentally with this. And that's why, that's why we were talking about this because this film is more or less kind of dead. Like it's, it's one of those curiosities that doesn't have, well, it's a cult classic without a cult, right? Because no, no one cares about this film. And then I'm trying to kind of interrogate the reasons why that might might be. And then this this could be the idea that it's kind of weirdly inaccessible because it's it, it feels like it wants to say things, but doesn't have some, something to back it up. It, it's, uh, I, I, it's ineffable to me. Like I, I, like, I think this is it. I'm trying to rationalize it this way, but this there's something that's kind of just weirdly missing from this film. Apart from the from apart from the obvious sort of sort of like craft issues that you no know, like uh, well, you know that um I, I kind of like when 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 things don't you know like are not, are imperfect in terms of craft but yeah I have a question Have you guys seen Mr Nobody I have not no seen I've Nobody. seen I've seen the ending to it, it used to be on <laughs> film four I, I can't fucking do it I, it's like I'm not too keen on long, Jesus, yeah, right? yeah and, and it's like there's a director yes the extended version yeah, I would yeah. say. In a way, even though they tackle slightly different themes, themes in a sense, but I will say that for me, that's a that's a that's a better version of the of the fountain. That's what not necessarily. I don't want to say that's what I wanted from the fountain because I the film has to give me. I don't want to get films from the film. The film is what it is. That's how I have to take it. But that's that's a better version for me of what the fountain is. It's different storylines, the same actor playing different versions of himself uh, in different times, including one that's in space. It's all about love. It's all about death. Smells like Cloud Atlas. In a way, yes, before Cloud Atlas. But I I, I haven't seen it since, like I saw it like three or four times in the same year. It was like 2017, I think. And it blew me away. It absolutely did. I remember reading a review of it, actually. Yeah, that's weird that you bring that up. Yeah, it's, it was. I was very, very positive with it, and and that's something that came to mind while watching the fountain. And I think if comparing it to the fountain, is very much again. It's a very Aronofsky film, but it's all about like the symbolism. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I think I think maybe this is why it doesn't really work for me. <laughs> I think I got it because it's more about it's breakthrough because it's it's always about like trying to get the message across and trying mm-hmm. to tackle the themes. Where it can, not necessarily forgets about the narrative, but it doesn't. It uses the narrative as a means to an end. Meanwhile, something like Mister Nobody is showing you a variety of situations, of characters, of what's going to happen, and and it delivers powerful themes while saying this, while telling the specific stories. And it's like okay, like you, I, if you gave me 
10, 15 more minutes of actually seeing this couple interacting in the fountain, of seeing it, it's like she dies and then we're just moving on already to other things and the previous story in the past. I didn't feel the weight of the loss. It's all building up to it in a sense. It doesn't mean I wanted like a like a 15 minutes just a Chantal Ackerman static shots of nothing happening and he's just crying in a, in a corner in the shower. But, but something, I think something that went beyond simply to get to the ending and the themes and because this represents this and there she said all about these things and the skies and the nebula and it is in the nebula so it's connected and she's writing the book and the book is the past and that's connected and then in the ending he sees himself and becomes enters the thing well it's all connected don't you get it it's just no 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 okay okay no we get this we get it it's okay. do, do you think just slow down I, and let us just i think it, it enter this slow story. down you, you, you couldn't slow down because the ending was written to match the score, and then this—I I think the <laughs> song was already written, and he was like, "We need to edit this because this piece is fucking dream, and we need to make this in like twelve minutes or less." I think I think you, you come full circle on it because that goes back to your issues as Aronofsky. Like you can read him as a filmmaker. Like I, fi- I find again going to that, that point you've just made about like you know the, the issues of that couple. You don't feel like you have enough time with them, but isn't that again a conscious strategic decision by Aronofsky to implement? Again, that issue of if, if Jackman doesn't have enough time with her, the audience then have to be retreated that as well. And it comes as like a conscious level. But again, I, 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 that's I, the I, frustrating I, part because I get it. Like I'm watching it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. like it's, a, it's a stupid choice. I'm just like, no, this, I get, like, it's, it's a good choice. Yeah. It doesn't work. I, I it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. That, that brings me on to a, an, an argument here where like this, this might sound like not to go off, off, off the hinges here, but. Aronofsky, to me, if I had to define him on a, on a filmmaker's level, it's that he is an egotistical filmmaker that doesn't have an ego for me. I find it so bizarre. Like, he's an oxymoron. Like, his issues that he brings forward in his films are always incredibly egotistical to himself, but he doesn't come, come across as an egotistical director. Does, does anyone understand what I'm saying? Like, I think I understand he, what you're saying, but I think he does have an ego. I was going to say the opposite, actually. I think he doesn't have an ego at all. Oh, I, no. I, I think, oh, I think uh, he does. No, no. Well, no I, I think he has an person. ego in the sense of like every human has an ego. I mean, look at him compared but, to like yes, Sam Levinson. Some more than not others. to like rehash an <laughs> old meme, but like, I mean, I will, you I will say can't look at Sam, you can't look at Malcolm Marie and be like, oh, like say, Darren Evanowski does not have that kind of ego. I think, like, the, I think the, way, the way he's personally hurt by the fact that people didn't show up for the fountain is an evidence of the fact that he has an ego because he thought he was making his 2001 and it failed and he oh, can't no. cope but with it. No, I, I, I don't know about the ego. He makes, he makes like DVD out, commentaries I, for this and he, and he petitions I, Criterion himself to make to add it to a collection. Like he clearly cares about this film more than everybody else did. No, but so he, but does, he comes he does off have, as rather insecure yeah. to me. Like That's, he yeah. comes yes. off as insecure when every film he goes out afterwards or even like Mother in the press screenings, he wrote like a full page letter explaining oh, it to the critics. Like I don't think like, I don't think he has an know. ego of like how dare people not understand. Well, that, yeah, I just think kind of he's very <laughs> insecure that people are not understanding what he's saying, and he cares about what he's saying as a filmmaker. That's logical. So that comes back into the, the themes of the, of the religion, where it's the issue of that if you're, and I'm not trying to trying to say that he's, he's bombarding with, with 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 religious metaphors. And, but he kind of uh, is bombarding. He, he is. He, <laughs> yeah. he is. But but it's that it's that age old factor of like if if you are trying to concentrate your efforts in converting those who do not want to be converted it goes on deaf ears and i find that it that then comes across in his filmmaking the the, the religion again it, it, it blends into his actually sort of like personality where it's if he can't 
preach to people. He wants to know why they're not listening. And when people don't turn up, he feels that that's then a responsibility of himself. Now, that, that, that I would agree that's probably insecurity, but I've never found that as an ego. I think he's a filmmaker that makes incredibly interesting and, 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 and as a collective, poignant and, and interesting films, of lack of a better word. But he makes them in such a way where those films do or die with Aronofsky. Like, I don't, like, we, you see him produce stuff and it's like producing Aftermath with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're thinking, what? Rising below. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just think, like, right. Like, I can understand why, why you, you've been attached to that work and I can understand why you've not done it. Because if, if you don't 100% satisfy yourself with the material that you can then contour and, and, and then throw it someone and, and then try to preach them, you'll feel like you're failing. Which again, after it's all said and done, that might be one of his biggest failings of not just taking a material. And again, that might that might answer the question why he's never actually succeeded in the comic book. Because I don't think he could deal with the, the level of slander, let's say, that the likes of Zack Snyder or Patty Jenkins or David A have had to be reduced to now. But at I the time, he, he, at the time when he was in conversation about comic book films, like this wasn't re uh, the uh, yeah the he, he could probably the, got the away universe that's the that he would he have to enter right. But I've never I never found him as like a I've never th- when I've seen one of his films right. Let's take the end. Oh, no, I can't because he's not seeing it. Fuck you, Nick. I was going to say the, the wrestler. There there are certain things right. Let okay. let's say let's say the wrecking for a dream sequence. Let's talk about the double ended dildo. Which doesn't Jesus get Christ. Crazy, right? <laughs> there are very few filmmakers who will go that far. Yeah, there'll, there'll be very few filmmakers who, who will go that far to showcase that scene in its entirety, right? And he kept it. And, and he was like, no, because they wanted him to cut it. Yes, exactly my point. Thanks for ruining it. But no let's worries. get back to it, right? <laughs> but the point week. of the matter is that when you look at that scene, you can look at it, right? And then you can look at it on a second viewing. So when, when we see it, we think it's ghastly. It's too much, like it's degrading, it's grim. Like that's him just showboating. It's trying him to get across to the, the, the MPA. Like he's just putting forward his ego filmmaking criteria, putting forward a, a bit of an agenda of his, of his personality. Let's say blah, blah, blah. Okay. I don't subscribe to that. I think he's a filmmaker that will put that scene in there for one reason only, not for shock value, but he has to maintain that it's strict to his character. He needs to show his character in the utmost horrific circumstance possible. And he has to sort of do that in every single theme of his film. So if he, if he can do it simply, like show a kiss between two people, it won't be a kiss. It won't be simplified. It'll be something that's sort of elegantly done. He used to show them banging a the fucking bathtub. That's what he no, used to I do. do. No, no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think he's a vulgar director at all. I don't think he's vulgar whatsoever. Uh, yeah. that, 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 that example I, I use is a vulgar extreme, but I think he, he's a director that, that doesn't want to showcase the sort of simplistic narrative that many other people do. Like again, he does do it, but he's a he's a he's a filmmaker that chooses a shot that, in principle, has a, con- a connection to why he's doing it. He's not doing it for the sake of it. He's not doing a Dutch angle because he can fucking turn the lens. He's doing it because he wants to invoke, you know. I mean, a he, response. I mean, aesthetically speaking, I think well, we're all in agreement. He's he's a very good technician. He knows why he does think that he thinks he does. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm listening to you, you three now, you know, talking about basically just trying to um, uh, talk about the sort of ego and insecurities, and I'm kind of having a change of heart in here because I think, um, yeah, Lads, what, what we've I, got him. 
No, it's just I'm I'm being I'm, I'm trying to be an honest, mature human being. So when someone's making sense to me, I'm 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 you know like I'm 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 recontextualizing well, what I'm thinking, right? I, from all I've heard, he's also like a very nice person. Well, yeah, yeah I remember stories of yeah. people. I didn't meet him when he came to Venice for mother, but other people that were there did at different times in two different days, and he was always very kind. And he actually wanted to try to have them meet Jennifer Lawrence. Because he was still like super in love with her, which was cute. I and I think it comes through but in then, these films too. It always it's always earnest. It never I'm, just cynical. Cynical. But then I'm, I'm trying to square one oh. thing then because he did. There's there's a clear arc to his sort of career, right? As in he's um he's making an he's making an indie film for like ten grand that he borrowed from his uncle or whatever. He makes pie and then he make and then he gets sort of discovered and he makes this wonderful film. That's that's be, that's become like the film student sort of poster dorm room sort of. I was uh, saying, that's cliche. on the poster quote, isn't it? Hmm? That that's that's on the the, the poster that quote. Wonderful film. A poem, more, a poem, more, more, I think so. But but yeah, like see, he makes this film that immediately connects with the culture and and then I was being he, sarcastic. Um, no, <laughs> Requiem for a Dream. When I when I watched it as a teenager was a. Well, this was an experience for people. Like this was like a formative experience for a lot of people, right? Like this, this, this is what turned people into onto cinema at the time. Like this was mm-hmm, one yeah. of those films, right? And then, and then you could imagine that maybe that, that what you're saying, like this, he's fundamentally extremely insecure. That maybe he's kind of like, holy shit, maybe I am a rock star. Like, and then he makes this. Okay, well then, I'm gonna, I'm Metallica, right? I'm, I'm gonna do this, and then people don't show up for him. Where and did then you maybe get this it broke his heart, I, like, I and then that's. That point. What? What do you mean? What? Do you, well, you don't see the. Point I, of I don't. I don't see this point of him being an insecure filmmaker. Like when the film comes out, I can understand why it would be disheartening to him because he's a very emotionally connective person. Where he writes and he puts forward a, a, an interesting sort of emotional escape to predominantly a religious element. I can understand why he, he, he would feel like it's a personal attack on his faith, but not not necessarily that. I don't want that. That's too much of an extreme. But he would want to. He would find it difficult to to comprehend that, but I don't see where he's a, he's an insecure filmmaker. Like what are we talking about, are we talking about him as a as a him as a person or him as a filmmaker here? Because I think I can, both. I, can I think the, you can't. I think it's impossible to kind of separate the two at this oh, point. No, I think Especially that he makes either. these films, he writes and then directs. He, his films, his films are his films, right? So it, it's not like he just takes gigs from people. Right. Yeah. No. I. I've mentioned oh, that in on here. Yeah. So I'm. I'm just. Where, what, what, what I'm trying to articulate is that the, the fountain was a failure. That like now. Now that you kind of talk about his films and you all in we brought this up like you know he had to go and ex- explain what mother is about he had to go and, and go on like on indiewire and explain what noah is about oh well, well fuck that that's me no like, but that's then that's that's is, like that is that what you mean by sort of this uh, is this the manifestation of the insecurities that he may have either had or developed as a result of the sort of dip in his career because he thought no. he could bite more than he could chew no the mother the mother situation to me is a single issue that has been brought upon him by the culture and society he brings that film into. Like, especially doing it on IndieWire, no disrespect, but they can't even get their Oscar-nominated correct, like, actors and actresses correct. I'm sorry, like, like there's some reviews you read about the, 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 those critics, and it's like, what? Like, I'm sorry, like, I, I think Mother is, a, is a, unfortunately, and again, it, it's an issue with his film. We talk about him, Michael Mann being maybe 10 years too early. Fuck, maybe Aronofsky is. That's well, sort of my opening gambit, pretty much. Like yeah, the fountain I, I, is kind I, of a film that yeah. was, was what should have happened now instead of in two thousand six. Look, yeah, look, I think I think that those filmmakers, uh, thematically, artistically, 
are not too distant relatives, mm-hmm. uh, let's say. But I don't see, let's talk about mother just for a second, right? That is a, that, to me, it's an isolated incident. That is a collective issue of a society or a, a popular culture not wanting to be able to fucking process something to see on screen. Like, that to me is so ignorant. It's unbelievable from a filmmaker who puts his heart and soul into a film and having fucking IndieWire explain it. Like, if he wants to do that, that's fair enough. But to me, you are pushed to do that before you you fully, you fully accept the fact that you can, that you want to do it. That's my opinion. I may be proved wrong. I don't really see him doing that on anything else. The fountain, you can also say, is an isolated incident. For the, 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 the obviously the thematics we we spoke about, the subtextual analysis of the film, uh, again the actual soul heart of the film where it comes from him. No issue, I can understand that. But from everything else, I mean, like the only the only other film we can't talk about because Nick hasn't seen it, which is The Wrestler, which would then be able to for, for, fortify either my or your argument, but not being able to touch that. It's difficult, but and again, we're black. You, you can if you can't, want. It's well, not you a can't touch it. No, no, no. Because I think it's important to kind of mention nowhere. that it's, it's scale-wise, it kind of just after the fountain being this massive, grand thing, epic sort of thing that he wanted to do, he scaled down almost to bare essentials. Look, with, with the two films Nick hasn't seen, he leaves those two films up thematically and narratively mm-hmm. for some of the audience to do the work. That's all I say. Yep. With Mother, right? It's not isolated, mid 15 minutes. It's a whole fucking thing. It's a very interesting exercise in not only narrative, but the star system as well. I all, I, I, and, and the filmmaking, I really do like Mother as an experiment, like I do here. For me, there are experiments in style, in, in aesthetic. They're all isolated things. So as a collective, I find it very tough to talk about, aside from, let's say, the, three, the two trilogies I spoke about before. But an insecurity as a filmmaker, I cannot agree with whatsoever. I would push so back there. I, I, I would be like, no, I'm just trying to understand this sort of idea. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not. This is. I'm not preaching to. to I'm. I'm, so, I'm. Are you subscribing to that? Though? Yeah. Would you subscribe to that? You would say he's a. He's an insecure filmmaker. No, that again. No, I'm. I'm, I'm posing a question because um. Now that you've explained this to me, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, this is probably not an over grown ego that that can't you know cash the checks right it uh, i'm probably i'm probably wrong in here so what is it is no, this no, the insecurity I don't see you wrong. Don't worry. Uh, no no but is this the insecurity as a as a human being as in like like artists like writers and like song songwriters have this sort of idea that you know like ozzy osborne apparently has this like even in his 70s then you know like he would apparently show up and on behind like he will ask someone to look behind the curtain to see if people came to to see his concert yeah 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 because he because he still doesn't doesn't kind of buy into the fact that he's a he's a massive rock star, right? So there, there's this. I'm I'm trying to kind of pass this, and I'm, I mean, it, I may be wrong. I'm I'm not saying I I am right. It's just like it's a question I'm just throwing out to you guys. All I will say is right to to, to give you a little bit of leeway here and to give to give your argument a bit more credibility. Let's say I think that it's the aftermath of this film is that it's a reality check. It's that you make two massive films, very much like the Tarantino issue. You made two very good films that were both commercially successful, but also well, you put them on the map. Yeah, prospered in the Academy Awards as well. Mm-hmm. When you get to both those directors' third film, personally, it's their best film. I think they both said it, respectively. Those two films, they're better made films, but the commercial value of that is significantly lower than the previous two because the audience didn't expect that. And I think it's the ego trip of what you do after that. It's that you get you get brought down to earth. Classic Hollywood mentality. 
you get you, you're given a dime it turns out to fuck it's just cool that's all it's, it's fucking spray paint that's all it's 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 shit that's what it is right it's shit spray paint and gold and you you have to understand is that do you keep that on your mantelpiece or do you throw it out and you and you, and you start again and that's where you go that's where you get the kill bills you get you go back to the drawing board you make something you want and you make something regardless of what i think about those films i'll give him credit for coming back from that tarantino took six years to do that mm-hmm. aronofsky took two and he made one of the best films ever made with a wrestler i think that gives far more credibility to him as a craftsman than I'd, i'm not trying to compare them both but i think Aronofsky. You're trying to win a bet, I'm thinking. Here, but... Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> not much stuff. Can't correct but, me. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just think that. But I don't disagree, it, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's human nature that when we get pushback, that the people who can evolve and push back even harder often go to great heights. Now, in a filmmaking landscape, it's all, it's all, it's, it's emphasized and it's echoed. Because of they, apparently they live in very small world, but really it's on a world stage releasing a film. Okay, they live in a tiny little suburb in Hollywood, but really it's an international playground. To to, to come back off the fountain, and I don't know him. We no one knows him, so it's difficult to assess his character here. But let's just say, just for for, for clarity's sake, that he takes that quite hard. Which let's let's be honest, he probably has done. If from what everyone sees spoke about, he probably has took that quite hard. To come back and then to make the wrestler not only puts that more poignant evolution to him as well, but it also makes his sort of craftsmanship incredibly interesting to look at because he's a director that could very easily take six years out, could take a decade out if he wanted to. But he came back with something that not only works on the narrative level of, 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 the, of the underdog story, the classic rocker American underdog story, which I think the wrestler for a modern day age probably is rocker. It's probably better. I said it. But I also think that subtextually we talk about well, subtextually we talk about him him as yeah. an evolutionary director about mm. taking thematics that happen outside or outside of the filmmaking realm and bring it towards in. You could also look at the wrestler like that. You could you could say that that's him. You know, I don't I, I don't want to spoil the film, but it's it's him going on that journey. It's that he will go to that journey as long as and far as he can do. And I think it's an interesting look look at that film, but. Th- the fountain and the wrestler only work when you look at that agenda because obviously life has to go on and then you look at Black Swan and you look at the thematics of that and his life he's going through a divorce and then, then you then you get onto onto mother so the, the, again the very three different films let's let's say but I just don't see the intertwined ego I think I think there's a level of ego like Carson said we've all got one we we all have but I don't think filmmaking wise he's someone look 35 million million dollars to make the fountain to me would prove that you don't have an ego <laughs> I just... no, but, but you initially wanted more like this 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 well, started no, with this i think I, mean, I don't want to say it started Yaku, with an ego trip but it kind of started Yaku, with this ambition of he wanted like a hundred no, million dollars from Warner Brothers. so so you know he was what do you mean yeah he was given that money let's let's clarify he didn't go to someone and say i want 85 million dollars you're going to give it man they said Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett will give you eighty-five million dollars, and let's just get this quite right as well, just mm-hmm. just for the statistics. For so, statistics the I facts. Mean, you, you could potentially say that he maybe he was on. No, I don't want to say on an ego trip, but he was. Um, he would have been uh, at least. I was. I would be in in this position, um, not convinced, but uh, maybe just starting to think. Maybe I am shit hot. Like maybe that's, this, that's this human is nature. Maybe this is it. Yeah. I maybe, think you look maybe, at the trajectory. Maybe I'm of... doing something right in here. 
I think you look at the trajectory of someone like M. Night Shyamalan and like, yeah, that's someone who went down a very deep ego. Yeah, that's, that's I don't ego. think you that's look at this filmography yeah. and you see yes. that. Yeah. I but agree, yeah. Carson. Great, great example, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's Aronofsky is, when you look at Shyamalan, it's always a Spielberg. It's like he's an ex-Spielberg, which I think you can look at thematic and I, would, I wouldn't be able to argue against that. Aronofsky for me is a Kubrick. He's quite cold, mm-hmm. but it's always an it's incredibly interesting cold. Like it, it, you don't freeze by it. Many people do, but for me, I find it chilling. But I also find like sometimes when you're in the cold, you've got to keep moving to stay warm. That's how I see it with, with, with the Aronofsky. He's a, he's a gross Kubrick in terms of like aesthetically to me. Like Kubrick is a is like an equivalent of like a mm. like a like, but, a, but like a perfectly maintained fridge, though? and then Aronofsky is like the same fridge that hasn't been cleaned in twenty years. Like there's just yeah. just there's something in this aesthetic that's just I mean it's wildly alluring, but it's also kind of gross. Yeah, but I mean that that's the nineties grunge. It's just yeah. dirty, isn't it? Like Kubrick comes from a slimline fifties, sixties, seventies. Like he comes from the the, the mm-hmm. golden age of cinema with Spartacus in nineteen sixty, and then comes to make like the exploitation of the seventies. Goes to make vulgar eighties, and then then really goes against the MPA in the nineties. Like I think they're both very interesting directors to look at. That I feel like Aronofsky is a, is a is a secondary evolution to Kubrick. I honestly do. I mean, that's not to give. Yeah. That's Probably not to give Aronofsky like a fucking pedigree. Like, I'm not going to put him on a pedigree like that. I'm not on a pedestal, should I say? But I think that, like, like Nick said, that's the only connective tissue I see as a filmmaker still working today. I remember Scorsese saying, and you know, sometimes we do get stuff wrong, but he says, like, you know, the next man Scorsese is Wes Anderson, and I was like, I can't, what? I don't see it. What? Like, are we talking? I'm talking about what? Like, really? Like, no, that's just someone else giving someone a high five on a lower platform. I, I see that. I can but see Wes Anderson like, being the next Jack Tati or something like that. Or, yeah. Or, or like Richard Lester or someone like that. Yes. But, but yeah. for me... But anyway, like we're... Yeah. But, yeah, but, the, the Aronofsky Kubrick thing is so fucking connected. Like, I, I honestly yeah, do I feel... See, yeah. I feel like if you, if you showed someone who didn't know who Kubrick was and you showed and you, and you said, oh, you know, these films count at a certain time and you continue to, let's say, put Pyrex in for a dream and then you put The Fountain, The Wrestler, I don't think they'd be too indistinguishable. I think when you look at Wrecking for a Dream with Clockwork Orange, those two are a hell of a double bill. A hell of a double bill. Yep. I that's probably that. the best bill you, can, you probably get uh, you know, to, to today's day and age. But again, it's inter- just interesting to talk about ego with him as a filmmaker because I've never found that. I really haven't, which I find it very interesting to come from your point of view, I do. Um, but it just doesn't strike me that. Mother is, is probably the example where someone could make a really fucking good point about that. Because that's a very interesting exercise and an experiment in narrative and formula and, and, and not giving the audience anything, but I suppose giving them everything in the same breath. Very interesting. I think The Fountain is probably a, um, an evolution of that film in its first formulation where it's, you know, we want to do something spectacular, but we have to maintain a, a, a strategy of getting people on board. And it's it's knowing the devil you know rather than you don't. So... Again, my execution that he said earlier, bringing two characters on board that he can write that have a palpable love interest that I mean, connect yeah. tissue formulates the conversation that he's going to bring forward. But to that's, me, that's genius. Yeah. It's easy, but it's genius. It's simple, but sometimes simple in this game is fucking hard to do. Well, I mean, fair enough. I mean, let's just put it this way. I think I like the idea that we're kind of just getting close to kind of comparing uh, Darren Aronofsky to sort of one of the sort of most lauded filmmakers ever, because I think he deserves the sort of 
he deserves the plaudits he gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think it, it, it is a very interesting point you made. Though, that if if say if you if you think about the fountain as being a, a reality check, and then if this is a, a necessary part of the journey that you know, like that that made him into a, a powerhouse that he is today, and then he made some of the more important films ever after that. Mm-hmm. Um, then so be it. And then um, so I'm 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 even more on board with the idea of sort of appreciating the fountain for what it is, even though I'm I still can't vibe with it on the same level. So I think maybe with sort of your comments. So if I'm, I'm trying to summar- summarize your comments here because I, I think it's a good point to kind of maybe say, yeah, I think the fountain uh, is is what it is, and then we we should probably just appreciate it for. for Can I just say really quickly as well though? The, the one thing when you see when we talk about these these incredibly loaded directors like we talk about like Scorsese we talk about Kubrick is that they often make a film that's very um, against type where the thematics are, are evil but it's it's used in different genres so when you have like the age of innocence for Scorsese he says it's 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 only like that's one of his like most nastiest films but it's not the quintessential Goodfellas or Casino where you have people murdered fingers chopped off it's it's more of a romantic emotional anguish and then when you have Kubrick you have Barry Lyndon which is all about the class system in England. It's a very venomous film, but it's also it's a class structure film. I don't think Aronofsky has made that film yet. And I think it will be the do or die for him if he does, because it'll go against type, yes, but it's also very interesting. I mean, you could say Reckon for a Dream is, but not really, because it is still like incredibly like hard-hitting film. It doesn't really subvert any expectations or like that. I don't want to say like, it's just a very angry young film. Just yeah, like. it's an angst film. Yeah, it's his Clockwork Orange. Like I said, it, it Scorsese's Mean Streets. It's fucking. It's angry. It's loud. It's all taxi driver. Let's say it's fucking brass. It's brash. Sorry, but I think if if Aronofsky went for the period piece, like, can you imagine Aronofsky making the favorite? No, I can. Uh, it, wouldn't, I can, I, it would be. I, a, can, I don't know. But the, well, it wouldn't be the favorite. Well, but it, it wouldn't be, be the favorite. Yeah, but, but I mean, uh, along the lines of that, just see, look at, think of the thematics. Not, not the, not the. I, I can't imagine him ever writing the favorite because I think that's also a question because he writes his own films. I don't I don't think he would ever be interested in doing something like that. I, I, I don't. I would never have thought he'd be interested in a comic book film, like Jacob. I don't think he. I, th- I think it's like the comic book films and everything like that. It's basically just like these little pipe dreams that put people put on, oh, on filmmakers no, like this. This is like the, like David Fincher being attached to these massive blockbusters and then like and, and they never they never kind of happen <laughs> no because i because he was it's, working it's, with it's basically Miller like tarantino that. doing star trek like this is these, these are like oh, pipe stop. dreams that some like yeah like the, the, these things will never happen like, come on why the fuck would they, i wouldn't let him in my house honestly but no I, but I anyway think, so okay yeah. yeah i just i just think that the batman thing is he was very he's very he's been very close with excuse me i'm almost sick then after you said that tarantino star trek thing sorry apologies look at the end of the day, I think you can flirt with an idea as much as you want, but Aronofsky's been eagerly close to the, to the Wolverine going in, in, in principal production, which James Mangold took over, eerily close with, with Frank Miller, with, with the Warner Brothers, eerily close in 2002. I think he went to 03, bang, they went to Wachowski's there, said, uh, well, it must have been Wachowski's then Aronofsky, regardless. But he has, but he he has never, this never happens, though. It's yeah, always, he's mean, always kind of just drifts away to, into projects that he's personally invested in. Look, I I can I can see him. How do I say this? I can see him fulfilling the 
Age of Innocence, Barry Lyndon, before he will fit, he will he will go through the comic book. If he has had any taste of bad press on Mother, I think if he was if he was he was smart, he would he would lay off the genre super comic book. However, however, that will then undermine my argument and my conversation here with Ego because if he then comes out and says, "Look, I I want to do a comic book film," then what is he doing it for? Because if knowing that that the Knowing the planes, not knowing the game now, I think then you would have your conversation won by the ego thing. That's the one thing that maintains his criteria to me as being a very innocent party and his, and his ego egotism, let's say. Until then, I win. That's fair enough. I mean, but then again, let's say, well, let's... I think in, we're, we're we're kind of drifting into kind of hypotheses anyway. So, but 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 it's an interesting sort of in the little, game, baby. That's what it is. No, it's an interesting little sort of tangent. But then, so I tangent. think tangent. But it is a tangent because it kind of just well, fountains one is one thing, and Aronofsky is another. And then I know these two are kind of intertwined. But then, what? no. What? what I'm trying to say is, um, I think we we're, we're kind of just at the end, well, we're at the end of our rope um, in in here, and I think it's probably a, it, it was a good place to kind of just call it a day <laughs> when when we were on a on a Kubrick high as opposed wow. to uh, uh, the comic book low <laughs> because that never happens. Um, but yeah, so let's just say. Okay, well, final thoughts about the fountain because I think we need to we need to wrap this baby up. Uh, I'll go. I'll go, go for, I'll go very quickly because I was okay. patronized. Then look again. If you had an ego, this film would be three and a half hours long, like Ad Astra, but it's not. It's an hour and thirty-seven minutes. Look, the, the fountain of his filmography. It's got a lot to say. If he builds on the filmography, which I'm sure he will do, this film will ultimately get lost. But it has a poignant and delicate place in that filmography. Nevertheless, because it's the it's the beginning of him speaking about morality of himself. This is a is a film that takes him on a journey in, in his filmography. It is the inauguration of it. I don't think it's his best made film. I don't think it will be his best made film in his filmography. But it has a wonderful little heart. It's wonderfully made. I may not love every part of part of the film, especially Jackman, but every little connective tissue, every little technical deficiency it may have. I think it's wonderfully brought together. It's not his magnum opus, and it will never be reflected to be. But I hope that people who find this film can appreciate for what it is. And yes, it may be a generic piece now, but back then, I think it's a very interesting conversation to have as a personalised film for, for Aronofsky that you let other people see. That's the way I come into it. I see it as a very personalised film. It also, try, also, it also tries a few people. It has done it in this, in this conversation we've had today. But... It's a film if you can grapple with. I think it's thematic that's incredibly rich and dynamic film regardless. So I said this before you got here, Jack, so please don't think I'm just copying exactly what you're saying, but I pretty much agree with everything you said. I think there's absolutely an argument that specifically The Wrestler is a better crafted and better made film, but I think this is his magnum opus. I think when you look at Aronofsky and what makes this director unique and what makes this director who he is and how he pushes the cinematic genre in his own way, this is what captures that, I think, better than The Wrestler. Um, I, I think this is his magnum opus. I think this is a near perfect film. Five stars. I love this film. Is it an uncut gem? Absolutely. This is easily, I would say, my favorite film we've talked about on this podcast. And I have the list in front of me, so I can say that confidently. I'm a big fan of this one. Cool. Check it out. I'm always ready to give second chances to directors, to filmmakers. I've tried multiple times with Aronofsky. I have to watch now two the last two films left in his filmography for me. That's very exciting. 
but I cannot. I I want to be optimistic. I can see myself rewatching The Fountain in two years, five years, or fifteen years, maybe, and falling in love with it. As of right now, I do think it's it's needlessly convoluted. I do think it's hard. Art is in the right place and he wants to say wonderful things and it does. And it's just just wonderfully put together. But it's, it's just a whole experience for me. It doesn't leave me with anything emotionally. It doesn't fill me up with wonder, with joy, with feelings. So it's I it's weird to be the one who's a bit more negative for once on a film, but it's uh, it do be like that sometimes. Cool. I mean, as I pretty much said in, in the original sort of on my in my original thoughts after we, you basically just state, staked your claims and then said like I kind of feel like I'm in the middle because I I do appreciate this and I've always appreciated this film but I never liked it to like on the way that say Carson does. Um, so I kind of because I feel it has its flaws and and, the, and these flaws kind of irk me. But I think even but but I'm saying I'll, I'll say this with a full gravity of these words that I think that conversations like these one like these ones that we have every week on the show and then this one in particular they kind of just do um, increase your optics I think they just widen your perspective on certain things and I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm kind of getting closer to uh, I mean closer like I'm increasing my own appreciation of this but my appreciation of the film uh, is, is still almost mostly academic as in I, I see I see the genius of I mean I see the genius behind it I see the I see the ambition I really love the ambition of this film and I see how much of an how how important a stepping stone in his, in Aronofsky's career it is and I see it more clearly now after if we had this conversation because it kind of sh- films and uh, in general life experience shapes you into what you are and I and then I like I, Aronofsky is one of my sort of I won't say my favorite filmmakers, but it's it's one of the most he's one of the most interesting filmmakers working today, at least in my opinion. And then he wouldn't have been this interesting filmmaker without uh, stumbling one, once in a while. And I think he he did bite a little bit more than he could chew. But I, I would I wouldn't go as far as 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 to say that this film is not deserving of of a cult status. I I wouldn't say that this is undeserving of of praise because i think it needs to be appreciated and i think this isn't like this is almost a, like a definition of what i always thought was an uncut gem a, a forgotten film that people should see even if they wouldn't like it but they should acquaint themselves with this film because i think it has stuff that wants to say it whether it's successful in this or not it's a separate question but it's 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 an important stepping stone in the history of of this filmmaker's career and maybe in cinema itself, because it, it it kind of follows on from 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 very very sort of ambitious projects that the filmmaker was inspired by. Because he he clearly was inspired by the Matrix. He was inspired by two thousand and one, and he wanted to to have an he had an ambition to make a genre redefining sort of uh, experience. And then and then people should actually see it to make up their own minds and see whether he was successful or not. And that's why I kind of feel like it. It, it sh- yeah, I, I, I appreciate it a whole lot more after having this conversation today. So with that, let's just quickly go. Uh, do you want to go? Yeah. Can you indulge me just for a second? Yeah, sure. Earlier, me and Carson spoke about like we would pick our favorites, but we would be able to identify the magnum opus. Whereas Carson said that both of the, that opinion would be this film. I said, Requiem Dream, I think is magnum opus. I think this is his best film, Bar Mother. 
you never stated yours. Oh, right. Okay. Well, Requiem for a Dream has a special place in my heart because it's, it's, it's almost a nostalgic sort of, I have a nostalgic connection to it. It was a, like, it was a teenage, you know, sort of cinema sort of uh, formative experience for me. I did have a poster in my room of this film when I was I like teenager, it. Like, so, you know, so that's yeah, the yeah. kind of experience I had with, I discovered Aronofsky when he, when, when Pi hit VHS. Oh wow! Early DVD. So I, uh, so I, I was on board with this with this young guy. So I was kind of like my growth as a cinema lover. Kind of is sort of almost like his career kind of follows my love of cinema as well. So so it so it almost feels unfair, but I do think, and I I don't think I will change my mind. I mean, I love lots of his films, and they're all five star material for me. Mm-hmm. But the wrestler is just on a different yes. level for me. Wow, okay. The wrestler I is. But you do like the rock. You do like Rocky, though. Like just for oh Christ! You, I mean, this... wonder, you do. You like the yes. underdog story. Yes, yes. Oh Jesus! I love this film so much, and I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, like inform Nick's judgment in here. But Christ, the wrestler is basically well-made Rocky because Rocky is kind of rough around the ages. <laughs> well-made Rocky. No, because like, if you see, like, John G. Avers, yes, I would so, say yeah. he, he films like, like, like he's like a doc- documentarian in the 70s. Like, it's all rough and then like, it's all kind of just picked up and whatever. So, but this thing's executed so, and the sound design in this is holy shit on a different level. Like, it's just on a, cr- on a craft. It's great. And the drama is amazing. Mickey, Mickey Rourke is just on a, on a different planet. It's, 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 it's a sum of its part and it's an elevated sum of its part. It's just such an amazing film. But yeah, but I still that think makes me Love excited Max to... one more. <laughs> That's why I'm uh, excited to watch yeah. both of them. But, looks like one of the but I'll be saying like super quickly then, what I would say is probably my favorite so far of the Aronofsky I've seen. And looking at the list, I probably say Mother. I can see that. Jeez. I mean, yeah. that, well, I that's mean, a close second for me, Nick. I mean, but Mother it's... was my, I think, either favorite or like second Logan favorite of that year. Yeah. But yeah, I have a lot to say about that, but not so, today. But, yeah. but, you know, I'm fucking excited. Stay tuned for next week, folks, because that's <laughs> gonna get real. Um, yeah. How but close I, is I, Black Swan for you then? Yeah. How much is it? Oh, I haven't seen it in a very long time. Same. I think. I mean, I don't like this. This is my Aronofsky what? sort of uh, Aronofsky fan club kind of uh, you know uh, ID card might go might have to be re uh, you know revoked. I don't think I've seen this. I, I saw this since the cinema. Wow! I may so have saw, may have seen it once, but I don't remember. I think I I think I just saw it in, saw it in the cinema. But it's a de- it was a deeply disturbing experience. It it was it was the dawn of. Do you remember it comes at night, Nicole? Do you remember like it was the issue like it was selling a film that particularly wasn't thematic or that it was meant to be? Yeah, yeah it, is, it, that's, it was marketing something was more kind of weird horror. on this. Yeah, it's more of a Black, horror, but it's actually a psychological thriller from what yeah. I know. Black, Black Swan is 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 that. But there's a few scenes in there that kind of still haunt me, like the the. Well, I give it, I give it like one, one off of five stars, but. But yeah, um. Anyway, so so yeah, I kind of feel like. Uh, Does anyone like sometimes like, I'm 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 looking at my letterbox now, and I couldn't find the fucking film, and it turns out I'm like literally uh, searching letterbox in films. <laughs> Letterbox is a drug. But Letterbox search engine is utter shit, by the way. Like you, like it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't allow any mistakes. Like if you miss the the at the beginning of the title, it's like I don't know what you mean. Yeah, (laughs) doesn't exist in the third place. It's like if you if you type in quiet place, it'll be like I don't know what you mean. It has to be a quiet place. Fuck 
fucking hell. Anyway, um, are we doing top? Um, I think it's time for our top threes. Oh, do uh, you know who, who wants to go first? Jack, go first. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. Do, I, I'm not going to sort of neglect the the, the the formula that we want to propose here because I would really struggle with the bottom three. So I'll do the top, right? Mm-hmm. The fact, and I'm I'm going to go more filmmaking level here rather than specific. Yeah, so I, I mean, hope, I, hope I mean, mind. I like scenes, moments, anything like so, even yeah. the smallest things. I find that this film being an hour and thirty-seven minutes a godsend. Because th- this easily could be two hours long. It could be in the Ad Astra. It could be, it could be horrifically long, and it and it's not. It, it's a very much, it's a very. It's not an accessible thematic level film, but time wise, you can fit this in mostly anywhere. Like it, it, it can work before before eleven o'clock. It can work in the afternoon. It's a ninety-seven minute film. It's perfectly. It, it, it's perfectly sort of pacing in the degree that the, the running time doesn't over overstand in itself uh, over, overstep itself sorry the second thing my, one of my favourites is I really do love Clint Mansell's uh, score I think he's phenomenal in everything he does like he never ever puts something poor like the score to Moon is terrific Wrecking for Dream is like fucking iconic to a level by none in my opinion like there's so much good stuff in there um, The Fountain is, is, is great it's not it's not a masterpiece score but it's one of the, the things that really undercuts everything. It evolves. It broods each scene that it's on. And that can only ever further how good the film is rather than it being sort of an extension of it, which it, which I, I, I suppose it is an extension of it. But it, it, I would rather listen to this score with the scenes, not isolated, which I can't say for a lot of other stuff as well. Um, thirdly, and this might be quite controversial, and I have I brought it up already, is that um, Rachel Weisz, I've never gelled with her as an actress outside of Evie and the Mummy, but here, like she, she's like nothing short of like phenomenal. Like she really is good. Like she doesn't, she, she comes across like oh, I don't, this might sound patronizing. She could, she comes across like she's quite cavalier in her performance, where she doesn't give a lot uh, with the with the facial facial expressions. She's quite restrained, but when you sort of understand how she develops a character and that's what it is and, and it, it works here it's, again my issue against Jackman it's that Jackman puts forward each and every fucking time I don't think there's much difference to here in the prestige in how he formulates a character but with Rachel Weisz I feel like something's being built there it's being maintained it's being curated maybe that helps that she has a relationship with the director she can go home and she she lives with that character she can she can evolve it maybe Jackman can't so those are my top three. They're not particularly any sequences as such, because I think I don't really want to spoil anything for anyone anyway, because we've done quite well spoiler-wise. Um, I mean, if, if, if you sort of have like a two-hour conversation, listening to, to a conversation about a film that you haven't seen, like, I, I applaud you already anyway. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough, yeah. But those are my top three. Not, nothing I would say mm-hmm. too drastically, like, interesting, but no, as a collective, is, I think they work perfectly. Yeah. Because you know, like, I've always kind of seen like Rachel Weisz being kind of like, yeah, well, she's 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 a great actress, but you know, like you know, seeing someone articulate uh, sort of the reasons why she she's she because her role is challenging because there's actually two roles, and then you can argue yeah. that she's also a tree. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is very hard to, to, which to is do. Very hard to Sam act. Worthington. <laughs> yeah, well, Sam Worthington does a very good job. So and then not... Jay Courtney as well. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Nick Nicholas. Third person, to be honest. <laughs> Anyway, Nicola, your top three. Let's go. Top three best moments for me. Um, t- t- speaking of spoilers, they're all spoilers. 
it's okay go for it um, classic <laughs> but we, we didn't we mentioned one earlier it's the the ikiru homage when he leaves the hospital and there's like all the sounds go out and then he's waking up by the traffic i i, I think it's great and it builds into moment, the yeah. sound of everything in the film um the second moment is the death of thomas the conquistador which is when he takes the thing from the tree of life and he puts it on the wound and plants start coming out of his body, which connect to the whole like resurrection and Mayan myth that Rachel Weiss's character talked about earlier in the film. But I found it to be incredibly disturbing going back to the body horror weirdness that Aronofsky really loves. Um, and it's like small things we didn't touch on this, but I was shocked to read this was a PG-13. I thought for sure it was going to be an art film after watching it because it's put some nasty things there. But fair enough, they edited around some of it, which is good. Um, and lastly, the climax. I do think the like the proper ending of the film with the, let's call it the enlightenment of Tom, Thomas Tommy. It's, I think it's, it's wonderful. I think it's very well made. But more, again, like more on a detached level. Ooh, the top three is really hard in this because I think like I it's there's so many moments that like stick out. I think the reveal of the monkey is hilarious, even though that's not necessarily a great like you know thematic moment. I think that's funny. Um, I I don't know. I love the conquest the conquistor. Oh, boy, I cannot pronounce that word. But at the beginning, I think that's really fun. I don't know. It's really hard. I think to say like top three moments because I think there's so much like layers to this film and there's so many moments that really like just leave an impact when even like simple moments when she says like I want to go like walk in the snow and you just get that face and you just see that shot of her face like there's something so tender and beautiful and authentic and raw about that it's really like or when they're looking at stars even like I think it, it's hard for me when I think every single frame of this movie is near perfection to be like well what's my top three moments so I genuinely like horrible t- I know like not a good not great criticism but I think it's hard because I think every moment lives its own life breathes its own breath and is its own masterpiece in its own way and I genuinely don't have a bottom moment I think it's every single thing is nearly flawless that's a way to bow, bow out from the bottom three as well oh cool I mean I didn't quite know how to make pick all, only three so I have um I, I mean I do have let's just call it an honorable mention because we didn't really touch on this very much in the in in, in the conversation I think it kind of deserves is um I mean we did touch a little bit on that uh, and that with the honorable mention is the um it's not a real moment it's basically just a little sort of name drop of Matthew Liebertique's cinematography and then in particular how I think it was his decision partially to um I mean decision or maybe his idea the idea of like lighting the characters as in Rachel Weiss is always sort of blown out and always sort of awash with light. And then uh, Hugh Jackman's kind of always in shadows and he only in the, in the end, he kind of becomes awash with light, which kind of just tells you that the camera work and lighting tells the story of, of him realizing the, the truth of, Oh yeah, this is what happens. Like, like we're realizing or we're coming to terms with the fact that she's, She's she's gonna die because she's at peace with this, and that's why she's in sort of always kind of lightened sort of um, situation. And he he still doesn't get it, so he's always kind of in the dark. So I kind of like this very much. But then the top three, in no particular order, let's just say, the flaming sword. Holy shit, I love the flaming sword. Like this scene where where you have the Mayan priest holding a flaming sword. It looks fucking amazing. Um, another one, 
sobbing Hugh Jackman when he loses his wife and he then tattoos the thing into his in, in into his ring finger. Uh and he cries like an absolute genius. Like he cries like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. He, this is just some next level <laughs> crying. Like I really, I really, I really like that's one moment where I'm actually connecting with his character. Um, so that's that's something I really enjoy. I mean, I enjoy like I don't enjoy the man crying because it, his wife died. But you know, like the idea of <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> no, but I can't. But I, I but I, but this is I, I keep t- telling on this show that you know, like I don't resonate with this film on a personal level and this is one moment where i resonate with this man wow okay where where he sits hopeless he basically just hits rock bottom because he couldn't he failed in this mission in his mission of this sort of of this sort of god fantasy that he could he could turn the tide on death and then he failed right because he was he he was too he was laid by minutes almost right because he could have done this right so so this this is a great character moment to me and worth worth kind of and but the absolute standout and always has been is the very end of the film where the the uh, death is the road to all peace in the in the film. And by the way, the, the score is basically just composed around this one theme. It's just delivered in different ways, and then when when it eventually just is assembled into this massive crescendo when he just reaches this nirvana and then he finds this sort of inner light and the music kind of kicks in in the and in, in a completely different gear. Every I've seen this film like four or five times now, and every single time. It sends shiver down my spine. This is just a moment. This is a truly moment of cinematic sort of uh, nirvana to me. Like this is this is a moment where I can see, yes, this this guy knows what, he, what he's doing. Like the, in terms of the way cinema connects with, like he like with me. Yeah, that's 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 it. That's the pinnacle of this film. It's just this, um, I don't know if it's sad or 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 or. or, um, or 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 not that the film actually cuts the credits right right after that, but yeah, it's it's a it's a great way to, fin- to finish a film. So yeah, you, you know, know Jacob, if anybody listening to this podcast has thought that you were aggressive or a little bit too harsh on that film, I think that that monologue you've just done then is powerful in the fact that you love this film so much that you can see its its issues with it, yet it doesn't yeah. define the film for you. I, I, I do like that, this film a lot. Yeah, it's I think just, that it pisses me off that it has flaws. <laughs> yeah, it takes a very mature person to do that and 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 analyze a film as much as you adore and look at its issues and its insecurities. That perfectly, perfectly embodies the issues that you've got with it. Where well played, really yeah, well. Played. Well, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm 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 trying to do my best here. <laughs> just yeah, you're trying, my to, best you're trying to play the contrarian. You do your best. <laughs> yeah, trying to play the contrarian. No, it's just because I do I do feel like okay, there's stuff I love about this film, and there's stuff that absolutely drives me up the wall, and 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 then it's the reason. I mean, we'll we'll get to it in a second with the bottom three, right? But then that just kind of just <laughs> that you know, it's kind of like. I can give five five stars to Miami Vice, even though it has like ten minutes in the middle that I have no fucking clue what's happening, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, but but then I can see the genius behind it, and I can uh, in this case I can see the ego or the the ambition behind it, and I can see where this ambition falters. I can see where this ambition succeeds, and I can see how this is a formative experience for for everyone involved in this project. And then you know. But you kind of have. To, I have to be honest with myself and say, like this shit. Some some of this shit is not working. And then with that, let's go into bottom three. Nicolo, go first. <laughs> uh, speaking of Hugh Jackman's performance, I will say there's there's some close ups in here. 
it's it's a personal thing just like taking them out of context they were pretty funny especially when he's like blinded by the light he's like oh, i i that took me out a little bit it, it's not nothing like horrible per se but it, it did take me out of the film um the moment that they just couldn't we're just stopped caring about the film for like a good 10 minutes is when we're introduced to the Grand Inquisitor, played by Stephen McHattie, an actor that I really, really do like, actually. That's what, yes. I really, really do like him, but that's the moment where just everything is a blur for me. I was just watching it, and my brain went, like, poof, into mush. I was like, I don't, I don't, why is this happening? What's this adding? I don't know. Then he's talking about why That whole moment, was, that lost me, legit lost me, which is... I was when, not expecting to happen. When you paint uh, paint over a map with his blood, yeah, I was just it's okay. like Jesus. Okay, oh, and then he um, just rolls it back in like you made a mess, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the map's ruined. Um, and lastly, I still don't have a proper answer. Maybe I'm just, I just, I don't know if it's in the film. I don't think so. But it's called the fountain, but it's about the tree. <laughs> I think it's also about the fountain of youth. But it's, but it's not. <laughs> but but I, I, but I can push back on this. And the Fountain is the title of the book that Rachel Weiss writes. So you can you know, like aim your criticism at, at her. But isn't the book the <laughs> Conquistador story as well? Or am I just... No, or it's, it's like something title... I made up while I think, watching isn't, the film. Isn't the, uh, the Fountain is the title of the book that she writes to for Hugh Jackman? Yes. And this, and this is a book about the Conquistador. Yeah, I was probably looking for the fountain of views, but find something else, which can be seen <laughs> as the theme of the film because he's looking for something else, but he finds another thing in the end. He's looking for a cure, but he has to find acceptance. See, there you know. go. And then also, Trees Up looks like a paint, uh, <laughs> which is gross and amazing in equal yes. measures. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, Jack, do you want to share your bottom three? Yeah, just before I start, the Stephen McHattie thing is so interesting because he's in the Watchmen adaption that Zack Snyder did, and Aronofsky was meant to do that. Cool. And I would love to have seen Aronofsky's okay. Watchmen. And that would have been fucking amazing. Bottom I'm, I'm three. glad he made The Wrestler instead. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yes, we I got the best of two worlds. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like I like the ultimate cut of Watchmen anyway, so and I, I, it's, it's, it is unadaptable, in my opinion. Look at the TV show. Anyway, so look, the the, the, the bottom three to me, it's, it's going to be very difficult because there's not much I actually dislike here. That's why, um, that's why we're doing this because this is a challenge. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll I'll take one from Jakub. No, I won't take one from Jakub. I'll take one from you, Nick, but I've, I have also said it. I don't vibe or gel with Jackman in this film. I think it was needed of a better actor who can emotionally showcase through a physicality of well he can show the physicality of, of emotion stuff like that i think jackman's quite one note when he when he proceeds to be like that it just becomes sort of rudimentary when you see something like the prestige or him in anything that requires that especially prisoners although he does put a, a wonderful performance in in both films but you get to that scene and you know that scene's coming here there's there's a few of those but it's just never uh, never an actor that sort of like piques my interest to, to, to a, a, a wonderful degree um Another difficult part of it. I think that sometimes that when you've got three extending intertwined narratives, I, I think some, I don't really necessarily think in this film, but I think it's a difficult editing job. And I think sometimes here he has to go for the sort of 
quintessential edit. Like he has to go for that 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 cut. He has to go for that 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 um, cut on cue all the time. Like he keeps he cuts on cue considerably. But I think maybe that's a Kubrick influence. But again, it's the narrative that sort of maybe speaks for that. Aside from those two things, I don't I don't know why I could say a third one. I don't think I don't think I've got a third one. I like this film a lot. I really do. Um, the thing, the last thing I don't like is that it never, it never made any money. There you go. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm amazed that you don't like the match cards. Like, I, I can't find them; they're kind of fun. And I mean, I don't know. No, no, it's, it's you, you. It, it's difficult to because I, I don't think again. There's, there's nothing in here when I say it. My, my worst moments that it would detract from my experience. I do like it. I really do. But I just when, when Nick said it, it, it is quite true. It's that there's a rudimentary to it all. Like it's like you can. You can, feels a bit infantile sometimes, right? Yes, but I would argue that it works within the, the context mm -hmm. of the film, which is I'm fucking reaching there. Like, no, no doubt I am, but it never detracts from my experience. I don't think it's like wow, like the ego conversation we had. I never, it, it doesn't ever fulfill that. But there are there are moments where you think, yeah, come on, you you he knows what he's like. Oh, we can put that there, and we can put mm -hmm. that there. But it, but it, but it connects. You know, it, everything feels like it gels. It connects. It's not a detriment to anything, like I said. But that I'm fucking pushing for two there. I've pushed two <laughs> issues for you there. Okie dokie. No, that's that's that, no, but that, that's that's part of the fun because I, I think it's it's an interesting sort of in, sort of conversation, especially when you when you know you have a personal connection to the film that you actually like to, to find three things that you could kind of bring to a list that you don't really like. Because it kind of just, you know, makes you feel think critically about your own opinions. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, <laughs> I've got three things. And I also kind of found it kind of hard to, to pick three, which also tells you where I am with this film. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though, because yeah, I kind of feel like, I don't feel like I'm Switzerland because I know that Nick kind of just, oh, I don't want to say you openly disliked it, but you're more, more disliked it than liked it. And then, but um, yeah. So the first thing I kind of always had a problem with and still have a problem with is the sort of when Rachel Weisz dies, it's treated very oddly. And then it, her funeral scene is kind of like a tacked on sort of scene. It's just very oddly edited in. It's just, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Um, another one, uh, maybe I'll leave it for, for last because may, maybe that's it. Like, uh, one, one that is, is kind of like, let's just say it's one of those fun little bottom three moments. The sex in the bathtub scene. I, I know it looks cinematic. I know it looks very nice and arousing and whatever, but they made such a fucking mess. It <laughs> flooded the downstairs <laughs> neighbors and it's just disrespectful. Like, I'm just, I'd call the cops <laughs> if I lived underneath them. I'm like, Wait, which is worse, Jakob, that of the, the Justice League one? Or is um, the Batman vs Superman one? I don't fuck knows those films are blind. When I, Lois don't, I don't remember now, but that's one of these Superman. Batman but have Superman. you seen how much water they they spilled? Like Jesus Christ! Like, like so who's gonna well. clean up after that? <laughs> yeah. So that's my second one. And the third one, this is one that I actually do have a problem with. The, with this, it's just and, and it kind of comes back to the self idea of writing about something that you don't quite not have an idea about. Is the everything that has to do with the sort of research sort of hospital and then the monkey and then whatever it feels like this is he it, have you remember that film was it from last year or, or just before they started locking us down about this sort of woman who grows a flower that has a that has a personality the average joe <laughs> little joe something like that holy shit how i hated this film oh little joe yeah, it's with um ben ben wishaw 
Wish out, yes, that's 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 the one. Holy yeah, shit, that, that's yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that exactly feels like like that to me. Like he was like, okay, well, he needs to be a researcher. Like I'm not gonna bother going to a real hospital or a real sort of institute to kind of talk to people or even look what a lab looks like. It kind of just, yeah, let's imagine like this, put it on a set. It kind of feels like it's like it's written in by someone who never even bothered to speak to real scientists. It's kind of like, oh, Jesus. And in, and in the midst of that, Ellen Burstyn is kind of sort of wasted. She's like an afterthought in the film. And uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, this is the only sort of genuine bottom 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 moment. And this usually in the sort of hospital moments, the film kind of loses me for some reason. And that's kind of how how I have like two thirds in when when it kind of becomes a I don't know sort of I don't know the, the the narrative kind of speeds up a little bit and then you're just like oh yeah let's do this let's, let's go like do you remember the, the growth is shrinking you know like the tumors whatever like just like fuck off like like you 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 you're putting buzzwords in in people's mouths you have no idea what you're talking about like no one actually bothered to speak to real scientists for for more than half a second or maybe they did and they realized it's not really very cinematic so let's fucking spice it up a little so yeah, so that's the sort of only genuine sort of pet peeve I have with this film. That just like the the portrayal of 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 science is kind of like yeah, it's fucking Summerland portrayal of being being a gay woman in Brighton or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, DNA. Uh, yeah, let but, it go. But Aronofsky is way better than whatever the, the lady's name is. <sighs> I, I keep blanking on it. Anyway, too so, many bad memories. Yeah. Can I just say one thing as well? There, there yeah. is a, obviously an announcement of his next film, mm-hmm. which is—is is it with Joaquin Phoenix? Is it the I one where? So. Is it the whale? Which... No, it's Brendan Fraser. Uh, Brendan Fraser. Oh, yes. Brendan Fraser. Is it yeah. About, was... about the man who weighs like four hundred kilo. Oh. And it's—I checked earlier. Actually, it's—it's it's in post-production. It's done. it's done. Yeah. It's in yeah. post-production. They're working yeah. on it now. I, 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 I'm is this like a cynical attempt on cashing in that on the fact that, that that you know Brendan Fraser is a little bit overweight? I no. Or did he, or did he no. actually lose weight for it? Can no, I say I, like when they said the whale and Brendan Fraser? I just I just <laughs> said Brendan Fraser in the uh, Tusk costume, the, like the Kevin <laughs> Smith movie. I don't know why. <laughs> it's, I just think when that when that first trailer comes out and he's in a fat suit, it's going to be make or break. And I find, I mean, I find that again, you can see what's happening here. Like he's going back to the form of the wrestler. He wants to look at that 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 character that's not corrupted um, by anything, but but one fall, that, he's like a fallen angel almost, right? Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. it's in again. It's that it's that uh, religious allegory I, I, again in here and. and I just think it's going to be make or break on the fact of that if, if it's ridiculous or not because if it it's one of those things where we live in this now where that's going to be very tough to convince people not that Brendan Fraser can't act not nothing like that it just he, he runs a lot of risks and for me personally that they, they work the mother is a, is an experiment it works for me for the, for a lot of people it doesn't I'm worried about this one not 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 only because of the context of the film and the themes. I just think that if 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 it's if it's going to be a a really interesting character piece that it probably will be, or it's going to be something that's like a gimmick. I hope to God it's not a gimmick. I really do. If if it comes out and he's in a fat suit, like it, or if, or I, I want him to go full method and just gain yeah, the weight like, and then lose like, it. Um, yeah, I want him like uh, what do you call it? Uh, fucking Russell Crowe in Unhinged. Get big boy. Get big. Get Marlon Brando big. That's what we want. 
Yeah, so like get in a fat suit big enough like that you can't shop at normal shops and you have to wear a muumuu. Oh god! <laughs> but by the way, did you know that it's it, it's not written by him? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the first it's, one. It's based on the book, though, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know, <laughs> but still, is I it not based on the book? Uh, yeah, an yes, and then and then the the um, author of the book is is credited as a screenwriter. Well, we, we've seen that with uh, you know J.K. Rowling. That's not. But it's yeah, this is the... this is pretty much where I kind of for me this is where the, the the beacons are lit, like you know, like Gondor fucking calls for help. The red flag, yeah, yeah, because like <laughs> some authors they don't know how to kill their darlings, they don't know how things translate into cinema, and then I'm hoping that at least Aronofsky will have, well, he will have enough clout to maybe just rewrite some of that and then make it work. <laughs> you know, Jakob. Uh, or I, I, when, I mean, where, where where appropriate as a book, as a book. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I'm in two minds because. He's worked. He's worked with like Frank Miller on the Batman thing. He, he he's gone that far to like adapt some more. So work. He's he's been on a collaborative process with another writer, with another with another figurehead, a spearhead in that in that medium. It depends if he allows him on set. I don't mm-hmm. think Aronofsky will allow him on set. So so I, I can understand that the yeah. film will be Aronofsky's. But if there's any sort of interception there, or there is there's a a placeholder, that's where I would have mass concerns. Like you said, that's where mm-hmm. I'm like. We need. I just think that the writer writes and the director directs, and if you want to do both of them, grand. But really, the two of them shouldn't really interconnect. Oliver, Sh- Oliver Stone shouldn't be working with the Palmer on Scarface on set. No, mm-hmm. needs, to, needs to be removed. You know, the director works for the. But actors. then the Palmer, the Palmer's well known for. Even though he's not credited as a as a writer, he does writing work. Oh on, yeah, yeah, on, on the scripts like that someone to, yeah. else gives him, right? So oh, he he's he's a writer Wars. himself. He wrote the opening crawl on Star Wars. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So he knows what works. He knows what works and what doesn't. So you know, he's a, he's a he's a great dude. Anyway, so I think with that, I think we need to uh, close the book on on the fountain. Well, so the fountain yeah. is available to stream on Prime and Movie in the UK, and it's also on Stars in the US. And you can also rent or buy it uh, from the usual suspects, as I like to call them. And if physical media is your game, does it have a four K? Release, what uh, on on stream on anything? I don't know. I, I don't think, think got... so. No. I don't think so. I mean, there's I think a physical. It's just HD. Yeah, there's. This a phys... would be a fucking great arrow video, by the way. See, this is this is why I spoke about like at some point in the discussion because the Aronofsky feels very personal uh, about this film and he wants this film to be appreciated and he petitioned himself to gr- oh. Criterion to make to make it yeah. to make it work. So it cle- but the physical media release is like 2006 7 so it's very old and the master is fucking shit. <laughs> so so that so there's that. Um and so yeah Arrow Video could get on this Criterion could get on this. Like this actually is in the wheelhouse of a Criterion collection in my It's opinion. not like so he's it's not, not like he's an unknown name as well. Like he ha- he has yeah. a, he has a major fan base. He's put Academy Award winners on the stage, you know, he's not I, just, yeah. I feel like people shit on Aronofsky, like he's because it's like this religious allegory. It's like, oh my god, here we go again. But well, there's so much more depth there. I'm really glad you've chosen two of his film on here. I really am glad you've chosen. Max. I wanted to do Noah as well, but Noah's going to go somewhere else <laughs> because no, yeah, I mean, Mother like Mother kind of fits with Noah a little bit better than Mother fits with The Fountain, but they kind of all fit yeah, together yeah. anyway. Uh, but yeah, I would agree. But but yeah, so yeah, so it's a very weirdly sort of mistreated film. I think, even though I know it has its flaws, and you can you can pick it apart if you really want to, and uh, you know, 
I don't want to say I was playing the devil's advocate while picking it apart because I do have genuine problems with it on like a sort of academic level and then on visceral level, but I do feel that it deserves more than a 15 year old Blu-ray release. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the version so, on movie was pretty good. I'd say that. I watched it on movie as well. Yeah, and that was that was okay. Well, that that'd be upscaled, wouldn't it? Though, sure. Uh, some yeah. I don't know if if this is a genuine Blu-ray sort of master that they op- operate with. I don't know what this is. Perhaps that's a, that's an include. Um, what well, instigates a conversation that perhaps that it's not being restored because the primary thing, well, the, the, pri- the primary like you know restoration let's say it's not particularly good to begin with like 28 days later like perhaps it's one of those things where it stays in the era it's produced in not to well, sort of is it is it shot on digital well vo 6 it should be i, I think i don't know if it, he no, shot i think it's in... it's, 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 it's on film then I, I expect nothing short of an 8k master out of this nothing <laughs> short <laughs> let me have a look let me just see if nick's lying he's got a background of lying uh, yeah so I don't know yeah so it, it's a weird one it's a very weird one because it kind of feels like it's it's it's, it's very much in the wheelhouse and then I, because I don't know Aronofsky is a weird filmmaker that both enjoys a lot of clout and then people like some people shit on him so he's he's properly divisive so, he just did, I think I've read a quote by him he said like he said to his dad who was like look uh, what are you going into this for he's like I want people to boo me or cheer me I want nothing in the middle and again, that's sort of like the idea of like he does what that's why he wants it. He would probably be best in a fucking filmmaking film now, you know? Yeah, negative yeah. film, 35 millimeter. Did yeah. you know as well that um, Warner Bros. refused to do a, a director's commentary for this film? Uh, yes, he did He did one himself and put it on his, in his living room, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, would you, would we, I'm sorry that I wasn't in the beginning of this conversation, but would we then infer that perhaps this is a film that bombed because of Warner Brothers' issue of being able to release it? I think Martin, I think yeah. Warner Brothers didn't have faith in it. Oh, definitely. Uh, they did release it at the Venice Film Festival. I noticed. They yeah, did yeah, they, they just released Ad Astra there and shit like but that. Then, but then, but then, how, when they yeah, saw yeah. how this was received, as in this, this made half of its budget, half worldwide. It made nothing. Like it was a massive financial loss for them. It was already a small budget. And it was speaking. a small budget and they didn't even make half of it, right? So it was kind of like, fucking hell. Uh, I, I think it's hard to market like this and the trailer is shit. I watched but, it before this conversation. Yeah, very poor, isn't it? I remember watching but, it like on yeah. early DVDs. But I could see how Wonder Brothers could have been misled by, by him as well when he was pitching this massive sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. This massive thing and then this is what you... <laughs> like, like this, is, this is what you <laughs> promised? Darren, Jesus. where's the movie? Yeah, so, so Darren, Darren not again. Come on. Yeah, it's like well, they probably saw this like ninety-six minute long cut, and then they were like, "Who's gonna like this? Fucking hell, we're like, this, we're never getting this money back." Uh, yeah, I don't even know if you worked with Warner Brothers after after that. I don't know who. I don't who, think any of these films are Who's no, financed the, the Wrestler and Black Swan? Who's who's who? Black who, Swan is Twentieth Century Fox. The Wrestler. I don't know. I think the wrestler is icon, and I think uh, Paramount is obviously mother, which we should talk about next week. So, got a lot to say about that. Yeah. Uh, well, Forrester is Wild Bunch, Protozoa, and Fox. Oh, Protozoa yeah. is his company. Um, and Noah? What's Noah? 
No worries, uh, Paramount. Paramount, yes, and Regency. Which Regency also co-financed this, uh, The Fountain. Uh, he he's a he's a risk filmmaker. I'm not going to lie. Like, no, if, but then if, people if, should. I mean, maybe in in 2001 he was pitching when he was pitching this when he was actually showing up at the Warner Brothers studio and saying, "I'm going to make 2001. I'm going to redefine science fiction for you." I, I could see how there was this. There's a disconnect, right, between yeah. what, what was delivered and or or what was being produced when they actually sold off the entire production. Right? Yes. Yeah. Like they literally just they built massive sets and they auctioned them off and they said like fuck that. So um I could see how they were disappointed, but then again, now if, if he got into bed with Warner Brothers, and like you, you don't expect a massive return on investment when you when you're giving Aronofsky uh, money to make a film. You're you're investing in the in the in I the mean, legacy of the media. Yeah. I mean I mean that's, I, I, that's I, what you do. I'm massive. I'm a massive fan of him. I'm I imagine yeah, could you you've got a, a Personal oh, oh, yes. affiliation with him as well. I love Noah. Jesus, like five stars and a and, and a star on Letterbox. That's how I like him. <laughs> if, if if I if I um if I was an investor and Aronofsky came to me, I would have difficulty separating my money from my wallet to finance a picture from him. Wow. I just think that, that I think that that tactile and and that it has like a dissonance with dissonance with 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 an audience. But he's one of those people. How much did Noah cost, by the way? Noah cost $160 million to make, right? He's one that, of those... That, that's f- just like ridiculously like, obtuse. I me, know, like. no, but he's one of those few people still left in Hollywood who can who can get that kind of shit ton of money yeah, but for, for a movie long, that though, doesn't I mean, involve anyone wearing spandex. That's a weird thing. He hasn't even made but that the, many yeah, films, that's, to be that's honest. That's like seven years ago now. But yeah, but then, how much did Mother make? Well, did Mother cost? Hold on, like... I, know, like I think Mother made again. quite a good amount of money. Nothing stratospheric. No, nothing like, no, I no, I no, was, I think, the, no. the top. Really? That he, yeah, I think it yeah. bombed really badly. Well, no, I made, no, no, Mother made 40 million. Uh, Mother made 40 million on 30 million dollar budget. So, yeah. I mean, if you've got Nick didn't make money back. Like, if you've got Nick Nolte playing a, a fucking rock monster, I think you're winning there, are right? you? Yeah. Well, no, I made, no, I made three, no, 360. So barely, barely broke even, I suppose. But I think it would still be if you, if you factor in all the marketing and and then international marketing, I think it would still be below the bar. 400, 400, let's say four hundred million worldwide gross budget, one hundred twenty-five million estimated. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. I mean, for that's not for bad, that, but it's just about breaking even. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, to be fair, that that I would give credit to that film. That's actually quite marvelous and well, it's quite a strong achievement considering like. Actual what it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, I would actually love a mother poster. I've been looking at them. Like, I generally love Which them. Which one? Any of them. I like the Jared, uh, Jared, Jared Leto. The Javier Bardem Javier... thing when it's burning all around him. I love. Ooh. I love like one where she's like, it's like the Rosemary's Baby thing, but um, the, the one where she's kind of like, um, she's like a painting holding uh, with a cr- holding yeah. her heart. Yeah. Do you is remember it... when um, the, speaking of IndieWire when that first came out, people were like. There's loads of clues with the with the poster. You have to look at it and you'll figure it all out. Yes. Like, but, that's, out. but that's but that's the obsession of like I mean that's the obsession of I mean we'll get to it next week. Uh, but uh, the, the idea of like this has to mean something. I need to figure out what it means, and then they they, they can't figure it out because whatever. And it's just like yeah, you, you you can. You're supposed to, and then it's fine if you don't. Just watch the film, go and read something, 
I don't know, read the Genesis. It's probably a good idea. It's going to take you like 30 minutes on the on the bog to read the first chapters on the Bible. And then you're fine. You'll figure it out. 30 then, million on Mother. That's, that's a yeah. fucking achievement. That's not bad, is it? I mean, it's made in a house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably 29 million of that goes to Churn, Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, she took it. I don't oh, want to talk about Mother. Oh, she, oh, took we, a, she took a she, year off after that film. Well, yeah. and But I think she also so took a I. massive pay cut for this. Yeah, yeah. I think most actors. Yeah. Also, as well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she, she, this is some sort of deal with uh, working as a contract out as well. I'm pretty sure. There's a means by a way to get out of a contract deal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe. I don't know. But who's who's was it? Fox? No. It's Paramount. We there's a massive story to talk about that. I'm going to leave that for next week. I've got okay. a lot to say about that well stay tuned for next week boys and girls because <laughs> it's gonna yeah. get wild I, I i smell a three and a half hour epic again <laughs> so do i Oof. especially that we uh, i think we have quite a few people on it's gonna be yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be, it's gonna be a fucking i might see this one out we'll no, see. Go on. no you've got to you've got to jump gonna, in because you sort of need to attend that next week because we There's need to bet. find out the results of our bets, you know? Yeah, so you oh. must be there. And then also you need to have seen all the two films you know, by that time, so that get cracking. Anyway, with that, let's just say that is it for this episode of the Uncut Gems podcast. Where can we find all of you on social media? Nick, where can we find you? You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGra97 and you can read my reviews on Letterboxd at Grasso, and you can watch my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies. Cool. Jack, where can we find you? You can find me on both Letterboxd and Twitter with the username at JackLukeSharp. Cool. And Carson, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. Uh, and you can find me at Talk About Film. You can also read all our stuff on www.clapperltd.co.uk and then uh, you can also find my stuff that's non-clapper worthy on flashonfilm.com uh, <laughs> you can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at uncontripspod uh, so make sure to follow, like and retweet our stuff because it helps a lot and if you want to get in touch with us you can also send us an email at uncontripspod at gmail.com so if you want to sound off about the fountain or any other film we've covered or literally anything else, this is how you do it so you can also support the show with a one-off donation at coffee.com slash uncutgemspod. And you can also, if you want to receive more content from us, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash clapperltd. So there's going to be at least two more, two podcasts a month of extra shit. It's going to be amazing. Also, Good a shit. little reminder. Shit. I think by the time this is, this is, um, this is running, uh, there's still a giveaway going on for the Cannonball Run Blu-ray, so you know if you want to get your hands on a on a brand new fucking Cannonball Run, <laughs> like and retweet the tweet and get into the competition. And also a quick reminder because I mentioned this at the top of the episode: Apple Podcasts still a fucking failure. Uh, doesn't seem to re- refresh our feed for some reason. So if you're, if I think if you're still, um, if you're current subscriber then you're fine but i think i think if you're new then you won't i'm not sure if, if you'll be able to subscribe to the show and then get the newest episodes i have no idea and apple's fucking ghosting me but but we'll get there um, hopefully there's going to be an update next week anyway and next week as you may have already figured out because we've been dropping these fucking spoilers and like like an absolute fucking carpet bombing machine 
uh, we'll be talking more about Diana Aronofsky because we will be doing a bit of a double bill with this fountain and discussing his 2017 film titled Mother or Mother because there's an exclamation mark in there. Makes <laughs> <laughs> a statement. Yeah. What is it? Mother? Mother. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot yeah. to discuss. So Mother. To discuss. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot to discuss. Don't miss it. Be there or be square. But for now, I hope you have a fabulous day and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.